Hello, and welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast <laughs> where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, <laughs> sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times, giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. <laughs> I am your co-host, Carlos Cooper, and with me, as always, is... Dave Gurney and awfully disappointed that you listeners can't see the gesticulations of my co-host. And, and I'm also here with... I'm Joe Hilliard! <laughs> that wasn't very good. Uh, but you that got wasn't the, very good. But you got the movements down. That's you a big do part, the, you of, a big the part of the freak out. out is you the have movements. to point to God when yeah. you're freaking out like that. And, okay, so... <laughs> So this is Beer in a Movie. Um, this is our 100th episode. What? Hence the bananas intro that you just heard. Uh, we're going to go all out with it. Um, it's going to be quite quite the ride. A very weird and wild journey. Especially because this is... I'll, I'll spoil something. This is a four beer episode. And it's Ooh. the second episode we're recording in a night. So who knows where we're going to end up. And Carlos, uh, I don't, I don't want to correct you, Carlos, but anything could happen. I don't even know if we're just going to do four. <laughs> wow. How many okay. times do you have a hundredth episode? That's true. That's true. And we one have, time. We are known for for our rogue beer uh, pouring uh, in the past. It has happened in a number of times. Um, but yeah, so this episode one hundred, and so for that we are uh, going to be uh, dipping into some. Um, kind of special, harder to procure, uh, Texas based beers, um, Mm -hmm. and, and some others as well. Uh, but definitely two notable ones. Um, and so our first beer that we are going to open, but not our first beer that we are going to drink is a beer from Weathered Souls Brewing Company out of San Antonio, Texas. You probably know Weathered Souls at this particular point in time. For uh, Marcus uh, Baskerville, the brewer, um, uh, he was the one who started the Black is Beautiful Beer Initiative. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, I think wherever they, you're I, listening. I, I think they may have topped 1,000 breweries now. I know they're in the 900s Did they get sure. that high? Wow, that's they're crazy. They're definitely past 950. I don't right. know if they've topped 1,000, but uh, all 50 states, something like 17 countries. Uh, but this is one that came out a couple of months back. I th- uh, this was, I think this one came out in March. Um, it is called the Player Haters Ball. It is an imperial stout brewed with peanut butter, marshmallows, and toasted cacao nibs. It comes in at 12.8% uh, ABV. Uh, and if you recall, on episode 40, when we were talking about John Wick, we uh, uh, tasted the Yemeni French Press Imperial Stout. That was an 11 percenter, and that is from their uh, French Press series where they use uh, different coffee beans in their stouts from different countries. They've done Rwanda. Uh, there have been a bunch of uh, – a bunch of. I think there was a Jamaican French Press, French press um, mm-hmm. a bunch of different ones. Now, this one's going to be interesting, and the reason we're opening it – first and not drinking it as our first beers because this one has a bit of a reputation as a gusher there are a lot of cans that made it into circulation that have been have continued to ferment in the can 
Um, some have even gone as far as to explode in people's cabinets if they're not kept at a cool temperature. That's because the yeast was at a prime temperature to reactivate and continue fermentation, which produces carbonation in the can and can cause the can to explode. So we, each of us, I believe, <laughs> I saw David's situation, Joe, I don't yeah, know if yeah, I saw yeah. yours, but we all have a bowl and a Ziploc bag over top of the can. It's a and, beer and a movie first. It's a beer and, and a so movie first. We are going to open them to see what happens. Try to lose as little beer as possible. I'm going to go ahead and try to open mine. Um, it's gushing. It's gushing? Not not like explosive, but no, it's I've got pouring over. I've got a little pre-gush, but I'm fine otherwise. Okay, not not too bad. I mean, it, it, it definitely came out. If I hadn't had the bowl, I would have a little mess on the table, but... Uh, okay. Not mine, too bad. Mine did not gush. All right. Not a, not a, not even a bit. I see Joe's did a little bit. So I guess we're gonna just set this aside, let it calm down. Yeah. But I'm still so, I'm st I'm still thirsty. So I so I have had this beer before, and when I had it, I was a little disappointed because I had it pretty early when it first came out, and so people hadn't quite started experiencing that gushing yet. But the cans that I had. Um, that I consumed already months ago, had I sat on, would have ended up gushers because they were incredibly carbonated. Mm. But, and for a stout, you know, you don't really want a super carbonated stout yet, an, let alone an overly carbonated stout. Right, and right. Though, the ones I had were very overly carbonated, so much so <laughs> that when you drank it, that carbonation just tingled and sizzled on your tongue so much that it kind of canceled out all of the flavor that is supposed to be in the beer. So I, I'm hoping that upon my revisitation of this, that we are doing it correctly, we are opening it, we're gonna let it sit, we're gonna let some of that carbonation settle, and so that by the time that we drink it, we are going to have a nice, evenly balanced flavor profile uh, and something that is really enjoyable to drink. So we'll see what happens with that. Absolutely, well, th th thank you, Carlos, for filling us in, and th this will be fun. I'm I'm looking forward to tasting it, and now I have something to look forward to. But like Joe said, uh, we, we need to get something in our glasses to get started properly. Um, so we do have another beer on deck here. This one is our first beer from Single Cut Beer Smiths. Um, they are out of Queens, New York. This is the 6.6% ABV uh, beer of theirs, a double dry hopped IPA that they call Weird and Gilly, which... For those Bowie fans out there, you may recognize that term from the Ziggy Stardust song. Um, and this beer, we thought the name, Weird and Gilly, in as much as it's a Bowie reference, is also kind of an accurate description of just this show, right? I mean, we're weird. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 and even the topics that we're going to be encountering here this episode um, so we're, we're hoping this little, uh, it's described as a juicy IPA. I'm hoping it lives up to that. Pouring it into my glass. Looks pretty hazy. It's got a, it's got a very nice aroma. Uh, we a lot of head there. Yeah, I got yeah, a lot of head on mine as well. Who knows what we're going to, who knows where we're going. We are going to take <laughs> you on a journey, but starting it off with an what IPA. What is the Willy Wonka line? Uh, no one knows there's no earthly going. way of knowing yeah. where exactly we are going yeah, yeah that's yeah. it right there uh but uh, a nice ipa to start off with good choice good choice 
All right. So well, we're not going but, straight into a film, right, Joe? What are we doing? Well, hey, man, a hundred, a hundred episodes. Where did we come from? How did this start? Dig, if you will, a picture. <laughs> Probably late February 2018, uh, Ethan Thompson, a name that you may know if you've been listening for quite a while, approached me because he and I had done a podcast, a movie podcast, and we had stopped doing it. And then we were just friends, not podcast hosts for several years. And every once in a while, we'd run into each other at a party and someone would say, hey, do you think we should? And then the other one would quickly go, nope, we shouldn't. <laughs> it, it takes a lot of time. It, it, it never paid for itself. Yes, we did get to go see the Inglorious Bastards World premiere in L.A. as podcast hosts, but when's the last time we did that? So, But then the, the Ethan asked me out for a drink. Hey, let's go grab a drink. I'm, David Gurney's going to come. And these two sons of bitches set me up. <laughs> and I, because they said, "Hey, actually, we we want to do a podcast," and I was like, "Oh, guys, it's it, <laughs> it's it's it's, it's going to be about movies, but what about this idea? Beer and a movie." And I was in immediately, and I, I think it was just uh, we had this conversation earlier today about a, a month and a half later, probably March twenty fifth, two thousand eighteen. We released episode one, and we were discussing the new release of the week, Annihilation, and then mm -hmm. the director's previous film, Ex Machina. Mm -hmm. But Carlos wasn't there, David. No, he wasn't. Um, you know, I, he, we knew him as the owner and purveyor of our favorite local record store, but right. he was not a podcast co-host distinguished that and revered tam ucc alumni that's right that's right is that on your um, resume <laughs> it is now <laughs> um yeah, no, I, I remember that meeting well. Uh, we, we met up at a bar that I don't think I've ever, I had never gone to before, and I've not gone back to since. But. <laughs> ditto, ditto. <laughs> um, but, but I remember I think, I think, I, David, if I remember, we found the craft selection to be highly wanting. It's true. I think that that was the case. I think they maybe had a few Carbot cans. Um, I think you're right. Yeah. So, but, but it was a, but it was actually a great moment. You know, Ethan and I had talked a little bit preliminarily about how it would be fun to do a podcast again. We had both been getting into listening to some podcasts and we kind of liked the idea of doing something a little more conversational and, and loose, but also with a clear theme to it. And, uh, and the two things that at that moment, well, I mean, movies have always been an obsession, but, um, at least for, I don't know, whatever, the decade prior beer had been as well, mm -hmm. um, the pursuit of interesting craft beer. And so it, it seemed like an opportune moment. Um, and it was really exciting. And I was excited to have Joe on board uh, with that. It, it felt like we, we kind of had a good, good thing going. Um, but we had also brought in a fourth uh, who was your producer on the movie hour before, I believe, um, Seth Kaler. Is yeah. His name. Um, who, who should not be forgotten in the, Absolutely uh, rich, not. the rich lore of uh, beer in a movie. Uh, Seth was instrumental, bringing uh, a nice mixer and some equipment, some mics to the table to, to be able to kind of get us set up to record, um, doing a great job editing the first couple, maybe two, three episodes. Anyhow, so there... Was it that many? Uh -huh. I thought, because I was about to say, Seth's time with the podcast was my favorite time because all I had to do was show up and bullshit. Yeah, and then I just good. got to yeah. walk away from it. 
no, and, somebody, David and, I, and somebody else did the work. <laughs> Carlos, David and I come in, get drunk, go home, and then on Wednesday, magically, in a podcast appears. <laughs> yes, that's how it works. It's true. It's true. So with our with our original producer, um, Seth, you know, th- things were going well. But I think at, at least Ethan and I, you know, felt like, well, it would be nice to have a voice that's that's not just the Gen X look at this thing. It would be cool mm-hmm. to bring in. And Carlos had been a former student of both of ours, um, who we respected very highly, also as a local business person. Um, and and he we knew he had bold opinions and that he was very, <laughs> very comfortable expressing them. And we thought, well, that could be exactly. fun because he's going to have a different take on things oftentimes. And we liked the, lo- the idea of that kind of liveliness coming in. So um, I think Ethan actually approached him and, you know, said, hey, do you have interest in, you know, sitting down and, and recording with us at some point? And he bit. And so we were all excited to have him join. And I think instantly, I mean, it felt like, um, not that our dynamic was bad to begin with, but I think it really added something to to bring in uh, a, a little different voice into the mix. Is that I how think, you Carlos? I, I was going to say, do you want to hear the real story? <laughs> Please. Yeah. What, what was it? Um, I, I was at work one day. Um, and do you want to hear the real story? <laughs> oh, because it's different. <laughs> what well, really like, happened is different. This is Paul Harvey. Car- Carlos Cooper is the Paul Harvey of this. And that reference makes no story. Well, that's because makes no sense. That's because we're old. That's because we're old Gen Xers. <laughs> okay, so um, at the time, you know, post post my time in school or whatever, and so you know, we had a relationship. But I would say the first, like, I don't know, maybe year or two, I might have seen Ethan just a little bit more um, than David. So he had come in one day. Uh, he mentioned that that weekend. Um, y'all were going to be starting this podcast called Beer and Movie. Now, at this point in time, I had two attempted podcasts under my belt. I had done maybe two or three episodes of a podcast called Philosophy on Tap, but he was pretty unreliable, didn't really want to do it. That fell apart super quick. And then I did a podcast for the record store I worked at before I opened my own and Mm -hmm. um, had done those and we would talk about music and life and stuff with a guest and that guest was a musician and they would play a couple of songs at the end of the podcast. But then obviously I stopped working there and so we stopped doing it. And, but I had always really wanted to do a podcast, like, but it was so hard for me to find other people that were dedicated to doing it on a regular basis and like really committing to it. And which was frustrating to me because I could I can do all the technical stuff. You just got to come and talk to me. You know what I mean? Uh, and so Ethan told me they were doing a podcast. And I was like, "You're doing a fucking podcast?" And he was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Man, I've always wanted to do one." And he was like, "Well, it's called Beer and a Movie." And blah 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 blah. And I was like, "I, I mean, I'll do it." Like, well, you, I, I like, <laughs> do, do y'all need somebody? Like, what's the deal? Like, and I kind of just like pushed my way into well, nice. it. All right. Uh, I, was, by, I, I was worried that there was something even more nefarious at play there. That, no, th- this, but, but, but it was not Ethan saying like, oh, it'd be nice to get a fresh young voice in there. It was me being well, like, hey, you need we, a fresh young voice. <laughs> I was going to say, probably that's how he presented it to me. Pro- probably, <laughs> probably, probably. But, but I, I basically told him I'm going to do this with y'all. Uh, you know, if you'll have me and he was like, yeah, I mean, I'll check with everyone or whatever. But the reason I'm not on those first two episodes is because y'all recorded on the day that my now, 
vacation. Right? Yes, that my now wife and I were going to visit our wedding venue. Right. And that was not one I could get out of. <laughs> and so, so and that is, I remember that now. That's funny. You yeah. could, so yeah, you, you were actually in the mix early on. We just, we picked a date that didn't work. Well, well, because it, it wasn't that y'all picked a date that didn't work. It was that my conversation with Ethan about joining the podcast was like three days before y'all were going to record. It was like super last minute. And he right. was like, and when we were talking about it, he was like, yeah, I mean, I'll pitch it. And if they're cool with it, come over on Sunday or, you know, whatever. And I was like, oh, I can't do this Sunday. But next, and I and and I was afraid that he was gonna be like, oh, already scheduling conflicts. I'm not gonna bother with it or whatever. But yeah. Then the next time, um, you know, I came and at the time it was re really funny to me. Uh, looking back on it now, we were trying to record once a month and do oh, four right. episodes a session. Oh, that's right. Wow. And so we would. Record, we were trying to pack them in. We would record for like eight hours on a Sunday or something. It'd be a really long recording sessions and we would be just blitzed by the end of it. <laughs> and eventually we we're like, okay, maybe we need to do it <laughs> only two at a time. It really, it really was the missing ingredient to Ethan and I's original podcast. I don't know how we didn't think about it. Get wasted while you do it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And I mean, and <laughs> one of the things that was so funny about when Ethan was still on the show and I kind of miss it a little bit is him and David just a lot of times were just opposite ends of the spectrum. Like I remember him hating, uh, Anomalisa. He oh, was that's right. so mad at yeah. Anomalisa and he, oh, was, yeah. and, and when Ethan didn't like something, he fucking didn't like it that's and true. he would go super yeah. hard on it. And it was so funny. Um, yeah. but yeah, but it, you didn't like it either. <laughs> I did like it. You did? I did like oh it. Oh my gosh! How am I misremembering? I that? did like it. Uh, yeah, he hated it. He I, hated I think it. I think I was in between, really liking okay, it, maybe and Ethan's yeah. like hating it. But I mean, yeah. that episode for a while, I think it actually still might be in our top ten most listened to episodes, and I uh, give some credit to I that. Think it has that great title, Substandard Puppet Sex. Yes, right, right. <laughs> uh, and, and for and for a long time, the uh, hereditary episode was pretty high up there too because that episode was titled "Naked Old Satanist." Uh, <laughs> we 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 hit them right sometimes. sometimes. I have a feeling. It's <laughs> sometimes, but right now, fun piece of trivia. I looked this up. Our most listened to episode is our uh, Joker episode. Wow! And I'm not even and I'm not even on that one. I hate that. I know oh, that is true. sad that you weren't able to join us that time. We had a great guest though, Anthony. Anthony uh, right. Yeah, he 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 did a great job. We need to have him back on at some point. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. So, well, this is you know this is fun reminiscing and thinking back to the origins here. Um, you know, Joe kind of in prepping this episode ha had you know thrown out some questions. Uh, for us to to ponder here, and I think it's an appropriate time to think about you know before we get into new films or or films that we haven't talked about before. Out of those first ninety nine episodes, what what were some of the moments, maybe as he put it, revelations, memories um, that you that you have, um, either of you? I'll let Joe well, go first. Oh yeah, I'd love to. Um... When I look back at the first 99 episodes and the journey that the three of us and Ethan and Seth had been on together, uh, there are a lot of highlights. Uh, for me, the first one is the Jodaworski episode, episode 79, mm. where it's like, Jodaworski, where you've been all my life? 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, and we did it really well. I don't know if we did it well intentionally or accidentally, but one of his films, Holy Mountain, mm-hmm. paired with a documentary about him, Joe Dorsky's Dune, mm-hmm. you know, well played us. Another favorite of mine is episode sixty-two, the Robert Eggers episode. That's the uh, witch, the yep. witch in the lighthouse. I hadn't seen. Clearly, the, the Lighthouse was a new release. I had not seen The Witch at that point. I've watched The Witch twice since we did that episode. Wow. Uh, I, I very much look forward to Robert Eggers' new work. So it's the idea of finding these directors, these modern directors, and being able to, to become a fan of them. And and then, uh, movie-wise, for me, number one, love affair with our, our love affair with Bong Joon-ho through the whole Parasite thing. Yeah. Um, Episode 63, Parasite, Snowpiercer, and then we quickly went back to him in episode 83 to do uh, Barking Dogs Don't Bite, and I'm drawing a blank now, guys. Um, Um, uh, Host, the host, the host, the host. Yeah. Beer-wise, for me, if I could tell anyone to listen to an episode because of the beer, it's going to be episode 74 when our good friend Harold Ronald Uh, joined us. Yeah, and we and we drank seven beers in one episode. <laughs> after, oh, after that was a that was a recording, recording session. Yeah, after recording an episode with two beers, we did two that night. It's just drunk fun madness. Go go yeah. go go listen to that yeah, one. That but one but, but we actually stayed relatively coherent. It, it was actually not a bad bad <laughs> listen. Yeah. I mean, Against relatively. I'm not saying. Yeah, I, don't, I, I mean, I don't know. We've spent so much time together through all this. What What do y'all think is some of the favorite things y'all we've done? Well, I actually had episode seventy four there in in terms of I, I that was a fun session. Actually, both that and seventy one I think were the ones that we recorded together. Um, th- th- those are some great episodes. Harold was a great guest. It was fun to have him. Um, and we drank a lot of great beers. But if I'm going back to the earlier days, I think w- one of the first episodes that really, um, I just felt like clicked the right way. And it was a film that I was really excited to get to talk about was episode 17. That was Mandy. Um, and you stole mine. Uh, oh, really? Okay. Well, there's, see, there's some gonna, overlap. I was going to talk about that one, yeah. Yeah, and we also drank an incredible beer on that one, the Jester King Spawn Raspberry and Cherry. That's which a great one. Yeah, still, I, I have one of those in my cabinet. I need to crack at at some point. Oh, um, no? Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, special occasion. If we were all getting together, maybe I would have brought it. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the, the other one, and actually that – I, I probably should have saved that for after, but um, but Carlos can bring it back up why that connects to our current episode. And then uh, the episode 36, Beach Bum, where yeah. I so loved seeing that film and yeah. then that we all found something to love or some things to love in it. Um, you know, I don't always gravitate towards the episodes where we all agree because you know sometimes honestly i I like a little friction i I like a little conflict i think it it can be interesting to hear us spar a little bit but um but that was one where i was happy that we all just kind of fell into sync and and we we talked about the things that we loved about the film and and what was going on with it and i think it for me galvanized a certain part of what I like about this podcast that we get to champion some of these films that are a little bit under the radar and that um, maybe don't get the love that they need. And, and to me that, that that's a film that, that still hasn't gotten its due that someday yeah. will, will be, emerge as the cult classic that it really is. No, I agree. I agree with that. Um, uh, so 
I'm going to go in order of release a little bit. Um, and probably, you know, one of my favorite, um, episodes was the first one that I did with y'all, which was blockers and American pie. Yeah. Um, I really liked that one cause I'd never seen American pie before, uh, doing that episode. And so it was really, I think that was a good introduction of me joining you guys mm-hmm. having that, you know, fresh perspective on something that is so culturally ingrained in American pop culture. And for me to have never had experienced that before and bring like that perspective, I enjoyed talking to you guys about that. And also I really like blockers. I think still think it's a fun movie yeah. um, that people should see. Um, I I think number six was also a standout because that's probably the first like real rage fest that I had. Uh, that was the <laughs> Avengers Justice League <laughs> movie. Oh yeah, and it was probably the first time I really freaked out and was like pissed about something. Uh, that one was really funny uh, to me. I enjoyed making you guys watch Space Jam, even though we had some technical uh, difficulties. Yeah, with that that's we right. Lost the last half of it, but that was a num- uh, episode eleven ham sandwich dunk, um, and then. You know, episode 16 is always going to be a big one for me uh, because of the lasting impact it has had on my life. And um, that is episode 16, Living in the Woods in a Tree, which was when we watched Blaze, uh, the Uh, Ethan Hawke movie. And Blaze Foley went on to become one of my favorite artists of all time. Um, David already mentioned episode 17. That one's titled Full Frontal Cage. All right. We're finally coming back around a little bit. Um, and then, you know, something, uh, another movie that, uh, or two other movies actually, uh, that fall into what Ethan was talking about with the beach bum episode 21 movies we missed and theories on relativity. Sorry to bother you in eighth grade. Sorry to bother you is a fucking crazy movie. Oh, great uh, movie. And great I'm movie. so glad that we got to watch that and that, the fact that I didn't see it in a theater, we had that kind of, um, uh, like emphasis of like, we need to get back to this one, you know, and made it a point to watch that. Uh, that was, that was one that I was, uh, that I very much enjoyed. I'm very jealous about episode 32 and now for something completely different where y'all got to go talk to Amber at Garden Path Fermentation. Yeah, that was fun. That would have been a really cool one uh, to be on. I'm really pissed at Joe for episode 34 making me watch The Dirt. Uh, (laughs) Wait, hold on. That was my idea? I believe it was. I could be wrong. Whichever one. I know it wasn't my idea, so whichever one of you fuckers made me do that. That movie uh, really was a piece of shit. It was so bad. Uh, It was so, so, so bad. People Um, love them. Let's see. Uh, I didn't do this in advance, so I'm going to edit some of this out. Um, I said do it in advance. I said do it in advance. (laughs) Give me just a second. Oh, episode 57 is a cool one, and I hope something that we can uh, do more of in the future, but that was when we had Barry and Kreiser from Lorelei Brewing Company on. Yeah, yeah. Corona kind of Corona screwed up those plans, didn't they? Yeah, but at some point exactly. I know I can coerce Hector into coming on, and maybe we can get uh, maybe we can get Joey in here, uh, mm-hmm. the king of the haze, uh, to talk about some of those. But then, you know, I think other than like some of those early ones and the ones that have kind of like definitive like you know kind of defining points of things in our beer journey or our movie journey i think a lot of 
what I like the most about a lot of these episodes is getting to see movies that maybe I'd put off or maybe I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Like mm-hmm. Russian Ark had been on my list for a really long time. And oh, good it, call, good call. And we didn't get to it until episode 73, but... Um, you know, having a reason to like really sit down and make myself engage with a one shot single take hour and a half movie or whatever, or an 80 minute mm-hmm. movie, however long it is. Um, you know, that's not the most casual viewing experience. So it might not be something that after work I'm like looking to sit down and watch, but because we are going to talk about it, I finally got around to it. Uh, same with blue yeah. velvet, another one that had been on my list for yeah. a really long time. Um, Joe already mentioned the Yodorowsky episode. That was a guy I'd been really looking uh, forward to viewing in a, um, that I just never gotten around to. I'm still really fucking pissed at you guys for Cabin in the Woods. Fuck you. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great movie. I, yeah, I, um, I, I may revisit that at some point. I was we'll at, see. Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, I, you know, I think there's. I think we've there have been some really really great films that we've talked about and some like really fun, like moments as far as pairing and as far as, um, you know, getting to watch some things that, uh, were maybe I'd put off for a while or maybe unsung heroes like beach bum and Mandy and some stuff like that. Um, as far as beer goes, I mean, how much of, how much of it I can remember is one thing. (laughs) Uh, I still think, I mean, I always, and maybe if I had it again now, it would, it, Maybe it's just some kind of like mythic lore that I've built up in my mind. But that I I do remember that big ass money style being so, so good and just really, really loving that beer. Um, but also like that fluffo sando that we had was incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it, the um, it wasn't called play again. It was something it had the word play in it. Press play or something that Harold brought on the episode that we did. With um, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that beer was so fucking good. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there. I mean, you know, we've had some, we've had some really great beers. I and you know, uh, Justin bringing us that bearded iris, Cassidy bringing us the Superior Bathhouse, which started like right. a love affair with that brewery, um, and you know, all of the beer that we have uh, been fortunate enough to have a little assistance with in terms of procurement. Uh, yes, that has been a really awesome part of the experience is having people help us kind of, uh, uh, acquire some things that maybe we wouldn't be getting otherwise. So. Well, our, our intention tonight is to take you on a journey through insane film, (laughs) but I think we should maybe open another beer before we do our first one. What do y'all think of this single cut beardsmiths weird and gilly? Did it live up to as weird and gilly as we all are? It's a little malty. Yeah, but I don't. It's not the, bad. Yeah, no, I, 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 I definitely. There's, there's some reservation here. Uh, you know, I was. I think Carlos, you're right. I think that there's a little bit more of a maltiness than I would want in a typical double dry hopped IPA, um, especially given that the description that I was looking at online was talking about its juiciness. I mean, I get a little bit of that in the hop character, but not really. I mean, it's it's not as it's a drinkable. It's a good beer. It's not bad, but it's not if we're thinking about those IPAs that people are calling the juicy IPAs, something that um, is going to get to the bar that it needs to 
to really deserve that kind of description. I don't think this quite does it. Yeah, I, I'm with you, David. I, I don't have much to add. It's a uh, the 16 ounces that we're pouring. It went down pretty quick. Yeah, it's, it, it's drinkable. Yeah, but it's not the best IPA we've ever drank. It's not the worst IPA we ever drank. I'm putting it solidly in the middle. But I'd like to I'd like to taste maybe something else from single cut. Yeah, yeah. I w- I'm I'm not writing them off based on this, but um, for 6.6 percent, it it could be a little lighter. It could be a little. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> not not an auspicious way to 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 start our beer reviews on this episode. No, but, we put um, we put sixteen ounces of six point six inside of us. I think we're going to be just fine. That's, that's all right. Start. Yeah, we'll, we'll get going. Um, so, but Joe's right. We do need to get another beer in our glasses, and I think we have something. Yeah, we do have a little something uh, to go with our first uh, movie. Now that we have done our little uh, 100 episodes in review recap. And Mm -hmm. uh, so this next beer that we have is from a brewery that we have visited before. They're out of Westbrook, Maine. Uh, What what was it? Westbrook Trash? They're Westbrook Trash? Is that what you said about yourself? That's my my hometown. Your hometown, David's hometown. Uh, And this one, yeah, so it's Mass Landing Brewing. It's called... Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. Uh, yeah, and this is, you know, we had Weird and Gilly to, yeah. to kind of set the stage here, you know, kind of both tying ourselves in with that sentiment, but also the figure at the center of this episode, if you didn't already pick up in the title, we haven't really said, Carlos, what what ties this all together? Well, I would like to welcome you all to a very special edition of Beer in a Movie cage match and in this episode in this episode we are going to dive into three separate nicholas cage epics and now why, the, now why the hell are we doing that by the end of the episode i will have convinced either joe david or all of you listening at home that nicholas cage is the greatest american actor of all time nicholas cage good or bad a challenge certainly but not insolvable. <laughs> well, I know uh, I know stop. the films. I know the films that we're about to discuss. The audience does not know, but uh, in all of these three films, Nicolas Cage takes it all the way up. That's right. Mm-hmm. All we the way that. up is a uh, sour ale brewed with strawberries, raspberries, and lactose sugar. We're, we're about to drink a 4.8 ABV, guys. And this wait, is our wait, wait, fi- wait. What what fruits did you say? Strawberries, no. raspberries, and I think they do, do. I think they do variants. This one that we have is tangerine, passion fruit, and and lactose. <laughs> so David, David, listen. I just want to make sure we're on track. Here. I don't know how much you have been drinking, but I just said tangerine, <laughs> passion fruit, and lactose. Okay. Uh, now this is our third mass landing uh, mm-hmm. with the notable Gunner's daughter milk stout back in that episode 62, the Robert Eggers episode That's that I referenced. Right. Yeah. We drank that along with the lighthouse and I remember us loving that beer. So I've got high expectations. Carlos, take us into it. It's uh, what, what are we doing? We're in the cage. This is cage match. Cage match. <laughs> and I will convince everyone by the end of this episode that Nicolas Cage is the greatest American actor to ever live. 
That's high praise. Now I, I'm going to peel the curtain back a little bit. We like to play games amongst ourselves sometimes to pick the films. And the way we did this one was Nicolas Cage has made over a hundred movies, which is incredible. Right. Carlos, you go first and you pick the Nicolas Cage film you want to. And then David, you go second and then I'll go third. Now, I'm going first to introduce the film that I picked. And the reason is that I know what films you picked. And the two films that you guys picked from Nicolas Cage did not represent fully his early career. Mm. So I'm choosing early career Nicolas Cage. Now, I was considering raising Arizona, but to me, that's a future episode where we discuss it not as a Nicolas Cage film, but as a Coen Brothers film. So what's that early Nicolas Cage that we need to do to really talk about his career? And I chose Vampire's Kiss mm, for, yes. for, two <laughs> for two reasons. Number one, it's crazy. I've, never, I've never seen it before. And number wow. two, I have heard that it is fucking crazy. <laughs> so if we're gonna look at some Nicolas Cage, let's look at some let's look at some um, early Nicolas Cage Vampires Kiss. Yeah. Now he had done a few bit parts up until this point. His first screen credit, 1982, was Fast Times at Ridgemont High, kind of a blink and you miss him, you know, kind of role. He's waving uh -huh. at the end. Yeah. Then in 1986, well, 1987. Before Please. you move on, you know, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is why he is named Nick Cage. Because he's credited as Nicholas Coppola. Nicholas Coppola, yeah. And he got so much shit on the set of that film for like nepotism and, oh, you're only fucking here because your fucking uncle is, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. That he was like, no, I need to make it on my own. I can't carry the Coppola name because then no one will ever take me seriously for my own merit. And so he changed his name to Nicolas Cage and he picked the name Cage because of Luke Cage, the comic book hero. Uh, uh, Nicolas right. Cage is a big comic book guy, which we see in Vampire's Kiss very clearly. Um, but that's just a little piece of trivia for you. Love it. There's going to be a lot of Nick Cage trivia maybe throughout the episode. But uh -huh. in my, now let's fast forward to 1986, 1987. You see his star beginning to rise in roles like Peggy Sue Got Married, 1987, Raising Arizona. And then, of course, Moonstruck. I think Cher won the Oscar for that. And, you know, big he's film. The, yeah, he's Cher's a big an Oscar film. Winner? Yeah. I didn't oh, know yeah. that. Bob Mackie dresses and all. Uh, so once his star about is is rising, this is the film he chose. So Nicholas Cage is Jesus? Uh, no, but he clearly works in mysterious ways, and maybe that's just his job. Based on the wacky ass script that we're about to talk about, to ele elevate himself, it's directed by Robert Bierman. Written by Joseph Minion. I don't know these names outside of this film. I think that they both credit this film with ruining their careers. But it stars Nick Cage, of course, Maria Conchita Alonso as his hapless secretary, and Jennifer Beals Ooh. as maybe a vampire. Nicholas Cage, <laughs> Nicholas Cage plays uh, Peter Lowe, a New York City literary agent. He's a stereotypical narcissist, the gr a greedy 80s yuppie stereotype. Mm -hmm. He works all day. And he club hops at night, drinking, uh, bringing, bringing home one night stands. Talking now, about during, the Fantastic Four. He, that's like how he's like wooing his date at the beginning of the film is they're talking about oh, the Fantastic Four. Right. Like right about yeah, the different right. members. <laughs> like, you know, that's like his game. That's his line. <laughs> now, early in this film, during one of these one night stand trysts, a bat flies into the window. Right. <laughs> then sure the does. next. 
then the next one night stand is with Rachel, played by Jennifer Beals. And then she pins him down. She's got vampire fangs and she bites his neck and feeds on him. Now, the important the important B plot in this is that his pool secretary, I said, played by Maria Conchita Alonso, uh, he tasks her with finding a lost contract that's in the big paper based filing system at their office. The Der Spiegel file. Also, this is not the B plot. This I would argue is the main driving narrative device of this film. There is nothing more important in this film than this woman finding this contract. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. According to Nicholas Cage, even so much and all little spoiler alert here, when she finds the contract, he lies to her and says, it doesn't even matter. The guy is already whatever. Anyway, but um, after he's been bitten by the vampire, the one night stand, after he's been bitten by, uh, by, by the vampire, he begins turning into a vampire or he thinks he's turning into a vampire. Right. And as one might do when they're turning into a vampire or believe they're turning into a vampire, he begins to go completely insane <laughs> with, an es with an escalating amount of violence toward his secretary and kind of the public at large. And here's where we begin to see, and we had seen it in. You've described Peggy the Sue. whole movie already. That's the whole. That's <laughs> all of it. <laughs> hey, this is my job. I expect him to do such a good job with the two films that you guys are going to. But this is he. Um, this is when we begin to see Nick Cage as the star of the film, doing what Nick Cage does: the weird accent choice, the bombast, <laughs> the bombastic hand and body movements, uh -huh. the wide-eyed, eyebrows-up delivery of the lines. He goes for something big here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He goes for something noticeable. So did he did he do something big? Did he get noticed? So here's another fun piece of trivia. This is by his own admission Nicolas Cage's favorite movie that he's ever made. Right. Really? Yes, yeah. he is on record saying that Vampire's Kiss is his favorite movie that he's ever done. He yeah, refers he did to a, it as he, his laboratory. Yeah, he did a rare DVD commentary for this film. Yes. And I think that's one of the tidbits that was given away. You're right. Well, in, also in the DVD commentary, uh, if you watch the film, and I, 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 I don't own the DVD. It's hard to find. This movie in general is kind of hard to find. Um, the only place that we could track it down was Voodoo, uh, which you had to watch it with ads. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. How much? How much uh, Mountain Dew did you buy? <laughs> a lot of Mountain Dew. Uh, uh, yeah, that Mountain Dew ad was everywhere. Anyway, so um, I found out about this via the podcast. How did this get made? Because they did an episode on it, and they uh -huh. had access to the DVD commentary. And when you watch this film, you'll notice that outside of Nick Cage's apartments, there are inexplicably two mimes yeah, that yes. seem to be involved in some kind of altercation. The director David Hyde Pierce. Right? I have no idea he, who they are. I um, think David Hyde Pierce is one of them. The director, by his what? own admission, does not know why those mimes are there. He says <laughs> it in plain English in the date in the DVD commentary. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know why that's there. And and also by his own admission, as I learned listening to How Did This Get Made, he doesn't know quite what the movie is about. He says, <laughs> I know some of what it's about. But I don't know all of it, wow. which really explains so much about this movie when you hear that. But Nick Cage has dubbed himself the California Klaus Kinski. And he really takes a lot of and you see, I mean, he he'll point it out. And there's a really, really great video 
that GQ did where Nick Cage is breaking down all of his most iconic performances mm-hmm. and he goes through them all. And when you watch that video, it is so hard not to take him seriously because even in a movie like Vampire's Kiss, everything he's doing is so intentional. It's so premeditated and thought out and he's making such purposeful decisions mm-hmm. and is really taking his craft seriously he's just a little farther out there than what we're like normally used to as an audience and in vampire's kiss he t- he says in very you know in no uncertain terms that he is going for this german expressionistic vaudevillian kind of over the top un mm-hmm. i mean he straight up says i wanted it to not feel natural and mm-hmm. i think that as far as what his intention was for this movie, he fucking crushes it in this. Oh like, yeah. He is natural's so over, not in it. He's not, there's nothing about his character that is natural in any way, shape or form. He's mm-hmm. super over the top. He's very, he's doing these crazy faces. He's doing this crazy voice. I mean, he is just so far out there that I think that it has this very interesting effect on the film. I mean, the film is borderline incoherent uh, but there's something about it that you just really, I mean, it just ca- draws you in and it's just so interesting to look at him doing these things. I also think that this film is a very stark condemnation of capitalism and a critique on the exploitation oh, yeah. of the working class. Uh, I think that American Psycho owes a lot to this film. Uh, I was going to say, I'm glad you've brought it up that, the, you know, I had seen, I think I had seen the entire film at some point. I had definitely seen parts of it on cable. It's it's one of those films that I feel like I had dipped in and out of before. Definitely seen some of those iconic scenes, him jumping on the desk, A- him B C yes. D- <laughs> right. E- reciting F- the alphabet. J- the whole K- alphabet. L- what is he yeah. doing? Yeah. It's right. amazing. It's amazing. So, you know, th- those moments were there, but watching it front to back with a bit more of a focus this time. Yeah. And and having seen American Psycho actually not all that long ago, oh um, no, which these are films that parallel each other very, very well. If anything, um, you know, I think this film, given that you know came at about the time that novel was written, it was very much tapping into a certain indictment of sort of yuppie culture in the 1980s that was very, very warranted, very needed. Um, I mean, he embodies the ugly sort of, you know, capitalist overlord, right? I mean, he's just there like heaping this ridiculous level of stress and anxiety on his underling, you know, played very well by Maria Conchita Alonso. And so much of it is unwarranted in him on a power trip because the guy is chill. I mean, it's established early on that they don't, the guy who he's getting the contract for doesn't really care. He's like, oh, take your time. But he, that just ratchets it up. Yeah. He feels feels the need to make sure Alva knows that he's in charge and she has to do everything that he says. Right. And it really is a power trip. It really is just him trying to assert his dominance and control over his subordinate. And it's interesting how it ties in with this strange, um, I mean, you know, aside from just being a really interesting, I think dark, satire of you know 80s era excess i think 
alongside that, you have a film that's really playing with this idea of, you know, the, the vampire myth in a really interesting way that mm-hmm. I think that was the thing that always struck me in the past when I at least saw parts of it where I'm like, Oh, this is such a great idea that like somebody could think they were maybe bitten by a vampire or, or maybe even have somebody bite them on the neck while they're fornicate while they're having sex, you know, whatever, like with your undershirt on at all times. Did you almost say fornicating? I did. He did say fornicating. Wow. Uh, that, that That's just to prove to myself that I'm not quite as inebriated as I feel I am. <laughs> So you you have, you know, this the idea that he could almost fool himself into believing that he's now this supernatural being that is experiencing this different kind of and yet so many signs that he's not. He has to buy the false teeth to be the plastic to, ones, which is yes. amazing. When when he's when he's in the phone booth with the teeth in sooner. Sooner. <laughs> It's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I mean, they do some good script work there. Uh, uh, Maria Conchita Alonso is is legitimately concerned for her life with this. Lunatic. Yeah, as she should so be. She, yeah, so she she contacts she 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 goes to see her brother, and the brother explains we don't have bullets here; we only have blanks. So right. then he goes and tries to commit suicide with the gun with the blanks in it, right. and ca- and can't quote unquote can't be killed. Right. I mean, let's cut to the chase. Unless you guys have a different interpretation, he's not turning into a vampire; he's just going crazy. So, yeah. but he begins, but he begins reacting to these common vampire tropes: reaction right. to sunlight, seeing a cross. He's he, wearing those sunglasses all the time. Yeah, he, he, there's blanks in the gun, so he thinks that he can't be killed. He makes a coffin out of his overturned couch. <laughs> That's you know, the best so, part, right? So, so <laughs> it's just a guy going crazy, and, and it's fascinating to behold. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so surprised that we are coming out as favorable on this movie as we are. Well, I will say, so so to to offer a little bit of a counterpoint, I did really enjoy this film. I mean, it is absolutely one of the most manic, strange performances that you're ever going to see committed to film. It just... But also, David, David, I'll interrupt you. fascinating script fascinating direction i mean it's all there it's in in service of some interesting things however having Mm -hmm. watched this with my uh my lovely wife erin um i i know that this film had nothing for her she did not (laughs) she she was not appreciating the dark satire she was totally just (laughs) upset that there was this you know, Dude. insane Nicolas Cage torturing <laughs> and raping he this does, woman. He, he does it, rape her and he does murder another woman. It, he does do some terrible things. Yeah. I mean, uh, now again, I think having, having American Psycho in my mind as I was watching it, that I was like reading it as the dark satire that, yeah. I, that I know American Psycho to be. I think she was reading it more as, oh, my God, this is like, why am I following this character that's just becoming so unhinged? And he was vile to begin with, yeah. and he only becomes more vile. Like, there's what, what redeeming. I mean, and there's something to be said there. There, you know, the the uh, the, the Maria Conchita Alonso character, uh, Alva, is is very sympathetic, but yeah. she doesn't get a whole lot of screen time when she's not being completely berated and, you know, chased, tormented, 
tormented by the Nicolas Cage character, by Peter Lowe. Yeah. And really, there's nobody else in the film that you can find anything appealing in. I mean, there's Correct. just, no. you know, it is not a, a fun world to Except live that in. kid on the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and Jackie, the guy, the girl that he strings along and treats so horribly. Yeah, right, yeah, right. That's, that's true. There, there's it. a little bit. But um, and it's interesting. Like, so... So I definitely I understand why this film didn't succeed. I mean, it was a relative failure at the box oh, office. Oh yeah, it made Big like what seven hundred thousand dollars or something like yeah. that. Yeah, but it's but it has done very well as a cult class. It become a cult classic in part because of I think if you do view it the right way and you kind of understand this isn't a celebration of this guy. <laughs> you know, wow. there's there's nothing being celebrated here. It's just revealing the evils that lurk in this guy's heart. Um, and, and giving him an excuse to let them flourish, you know what I mean? Giving him an excuse to let them blossom through this concept of him either becoming a vampire or like Joe said, just going crazy, but, you know, under the cover of becoming a vampire that, you know, I think, I think there's really something pretty amazing. And when you, man, some of those scenes are just as nutty as you're ever going to see anything be. So I, well, it, oh, I, I told you guys that I watched it for the first time, and I watched the movie Slackjawed. I mean, what the fuck did I just watch? Yeah, yeah. And then the next day, it's the only thing that I could think about. Oh, I mean, yeah. it, it it became a personal cult movie to me overnight. I liked this film so much, uh-huh. and and if you don't mind something that I, that is at its core, I mean, twisted. I recommend it very, very much. And I mean, it. Ha- Ha- Go ahead, Dave. I was just going to say a couple little Easter eggs in there for yeah. for uh, fan. Well, one that actually touches back on a recent episode, very early appearance of John Michael Higgins. Yes, which yeah. Ooh, and had there's never never recognized before. There's one uh, more little the, Easter egg. I think you're going to say in the club scene at the yes. beginning. The band playing ESG. is a straight up classic New York post punk funk group that just has never received their due, Yeah, it, mainly sisters that, called ESG, oh. that as soon as they started playing, I'm like, I was so hyped. ESG? And it was. I was it's so ESG. hyped. The weird thing is, it actually, I was looking at their history, it came out in a period where they were kind of not functioning. I mean, like they had kind of stopped recording and performing around 86, and then this film, now maybe it was being shot right as they were kind of, taking a hiatus or whatever but it's just a funny like wow this is like a strange little nugget to find i wrote it down i created a note section for this film because of that scene and that was the only thing i wrote down (laughs) 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 uh but when i when i when i heard that song playing i was like holy shit and i watch everything with the subtitles on so as soon as I heard it, a subtitle came up, ESG playing, and I was like, motherfucker, I cannot believe that this movie has this band in it. I know, I know. So, it, well, so but, but I, was, I was saying, though, David, why, why I recommend it so highly is half for the Cage show, which is on, which is on full display. Full frontal mm-hmm. Cage. But the second <laughs> half of why I like it so much is the balls of this filmmaking team to make something so warped that it really defies any kind of genre description. Yeah. It, it, it's not a vampire movie. No. <laughs> Even all. though it plays with those tropes. Yeah. It's it's not a comedy. 
it's it's not, not a full blown at least. it's not a full blown drama. It's just this delightfully fucked up little thing that I haven't oh. seen before or since. The character is so unlikable. There's no one to root for. No. Yeah. It, it's just watching craziness. Well done. Yeah. Well, and, and funny too. Now that I I didn't know the tidbit there, you know, the, about the director claiming to not really understand what the film was about. <laughs> it's which now kind of makes sense. It's it like so okay, this <laughs> this is how something like this gets made. Um, and I, you know, it, I'm glad it did. Like it, it's 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 not a film that I want every night. It's not no. a film that I'm. But it is a film I'm glad exists, and I and I do think it does some things really well, um, and and definitely shows us what extremes Nick Cage will go to to achieve a performance. So so to me, this is uh, I think the best parallel for like what this film is and why it's like enjoyable is uh, there's a really famous video or it gets shared a lot on the internet at least. Uh, it's an interview with Frank Zappa and he's talking about the, uh, I guess throughout the sixties, early seventies and these record executives that, you know, didn't necessarily champion themselves as like knowing what people want or like curators or whatever. They were just like, all right, you want to make a, a record? You can do it for cheap enough. Sure. Go ahead. Let's try it. See what mm -hmm. happens, you know? And there was money being put into a lot of different things and a lot of people trying new things and pushing boundaries. And you got a lot of really weird records from that time and a lot of weird music and a lot of weird bands and things that didn't necessarily have a commercial niche or a commercial like, track to follow but it was just people trying stuff and it was just executives taking chances on things that weren't super financially risky but that were incredible and there and i think this is an example of that like you know mm -hmm. it's probably a little later on in hollywood than when those kind of you know i guess we would probably associate that more with like the easy rider period where people were kind of making these you know the roger corman kind of stuff and like you know the peter fonda kind of stuff but this is kind of like from a like a almost like 20 years later than maybe it should have been or something not mm. as far as the content but as far as like the experimentation and like the boundary pushing and the just kind of playing that they were mm -hmm. doing and you know this might be an example of something that didn't quite work as well as maybe like trout mask replica or something where <laughs> like you know now that has I would say a more revered cult status than this film does, but it is this thing of just like this movie could never be made today. You could never have a director that no. doesn't fully understand the script, get millions of dollars to make a film, you know, right. and with somebody as unhinged as Nick Cage was at this time, be allowed to do it. Cause right. I mean, if you watch that GQ video that I mentioned earlier in the, or earlier in this segment, yeah. he talks about, movies that he reported to and started shooting and where he was trying certain things and they were like, you can't do that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, and they kind of honed him in and like reined him in a yeah. little bit. And this was a movie where no one was going to tell Nick Cage yeah. anything, you know? Right. Um, and there's Eat just that a, cockroach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, and fun fact about that, he did it twice and the director used the first take. Mm -hmm. So he two cockroaches, second take didn't make it. Um, but, I, but I think that's something that like is 
kind of missing from like current modern day filmmaking is just fucking take those crazy chances, you know, like just yeah. really go all in as push it as far as you can and see mm. what happens, you know, and maybe, maybe it's happening in Wakaliwood. But, it but is not, happening not, in Wakaliwood. That is, that yeah. is true. But I, but I think this is a great example of that, of just like people getting together, nobody having like a clear, like a tour esque kind of vision for it. And yeah, just like yeah, pure yeah. collaboration of just like, I think that we should do this. I think we should do this. Well, let's do them both and see what happens. And kind of stitch so, this all together, and you right. get something really interesting out of it. Well, and and clearly, I think that the point you make there that that is very well taken on on my part is that it is probably the first time that we truly get to see Nick Cage totally uninhibited, yeah, turned all the way up. Yeah, what do we think about all the way up? Oh, this. Fantastic, beer. David. Fantastic. This, this beer is very good. It uh, is. I'm really getting that tangerine. I know. Yeah. It's, it, it, the tangerine it's kind of is, silly how much the tangerine is in there. Yeah. That's amazing. It tastes like um, sometimes I like to uh, take sparkling water and orange juice and mix it together for like a virgin mm. mimosa type situation. And this kind of reminds mm. me of that a little bit. Yeah, I could go there. Um yeah, I'm I'm really impressed. I mean, obviously we as you know, Joe said, we've had these guys before. Um that you know, they're they're hometown favorites of mine now. And yeah, this is just another stellar entry in their canon. I I think that uh I think it's the first sour of theirs that I've had actually, but to have it pulled off this nicely with that burst of tangerine there as you're drinking it. I mean, the passion fruits there as well. Nice mouthfeel from the lactose. I'm I'm just across the board enjoying this one. Yeah, I'm. It's it's unanimous that you know when you bite into a piece of citrus, mm -hmm. orange, tangerine, mm -hmm. and and there's multi layers of profile in your mouth. You've got the sweet, and then mm -hmm. you've also got that sour citrus. The acidic. This yeah. beer delivers that just like you're eating a tangerine. I'm so impressed with Mass Landing now. They have hit another home run. Good good job, guys. Yeah, it's really, Absolutely. really good. So I think it's time that we take a little pause. Uh, so that we've we got we've got more we've got we've, we've got, got more we're, only, we're just getting yeah. started. <laughs> we're only one third of our way into the cage match. That's right. Um, but when we get back, we'll have another beer to put in our glass and uh, another Nick Cage film to talk about. David, which one did you choose? You'll find out. After the break. Or what? I mean, I'm finding this bat off all alone. And I'll be damned if I didn't get really turned on. I was a little drunk. Plus, I was horny. And we're back! Oh, ah. a bitch. All right. Had to use so that advantage. We are into the second third of our cage match. of our movies as far as the cage match goes this is the third fourth of the segments in total i guess if you include right, the right. 100th episode retrospective and for this episode we are heading back to a brewery that we have had quite a few offerings from prairie artisan ales uh but this is also what? a 
a collaboration. Oh, right. This is also a collaboration with Weathered Souls. Uh, it is called the Cavernous Bomb. Cavernous uh, is a series of really hefty stouts that Weathered Souls does. The bombs are what Prairie is known for. Mm-hmm. And so this is an imperial stout aged on coffee, cacao nib, vanilla beans, and ancho chili peppers. It comes in at 11.1% ABV. Oh, my God. 51 IBUs, and this one comes our way, um, courtesy of a good friend of the show, Daniel, always holding right. down for us. Um, and uh, when, whenever we, whenever it makes sense for us to get into a room together, we got to have Daniel on the show. Yeah, Daniel Absolutely. is Daniel is a a guy that I would say would be on par with Harold as far as us bringing him into an episode recording to get us totally obliterated. Yeah. And yet I I think it would be fun, especially because I know, I know his tastes uh, run in terms of uh, media run a little bit more uh, towards the action oriented and mainstream it would be fun to get him in um i also know he's like he's got some well (laughs) i was going to say the opposite make us watch some stuff from his uh his you know cabinet that uh this is dark this is pouring look at the head on that it's almost as black as the rest of the beer yeah you're right you're the head is one shade lighter than the dark dark the chilies i'm getting the chilies on the nose i love i love a chili beer i have to say after we had that hurt from brash <laughs> oh man i love a chili beer i never thought I'm i would a dark Not, chili beer dark yeah, chili. a dark chili beer Looks i like do smell the chili but i also smell a lot of banana interesting Ooh. Yeah, um, i'm not getting that interesting so you but know if the, i was getting this, it i would block it out this being our second weathered souls beer um you know, it, it is, and we've already kind of mentioned there, uh, Marcus, uh, the, the head brewer, the owner of the brewery, um, starting this Black is Beautiful campaign. Um, you know, Joe updated us with some numbers uh, during the break. 989 breweries. Almost 1,000. So, God, just 11 I would say more. Almost. It, I mean, we'll be there in no time, I Hopefully. bet. So a few more will jump on. Um, and he's right. In 50 states, 19 countries. This is a phenomenon. This is this is pretty cool. And uh, Jägermeister so even got in on it. Really? Did y'all see that? No, they're doing a beer. got in. They didn't do – they're not doing a beer, but they announced their, like, solidarity with the campaign and that, okay. like – I guess there were some breweries that they've collaborated with maybe in the past or something, but they were doing, they were getting involved in some way that they were going to match up to like $50,000 in donations or something. Oh, nice. like if you bought beer from certain breweries or whatever the case was. Okay. Cause that's, um, we, if, if we didn't make it clear that part of the campaign is they're brewing, a, they're all brewing from a base recipe, this, you know, yeah. Imperial stout recipe that would do whatever variation you want. But then the money that they take in, um, the profit there is going to a social justice cause, essentially. And or how are they defining it? I'm probably not so giving it. In right. order to participate, you had to speak with Marcus personally, right? And you had to commit to donating 100% of your proceeds to either like police reform or racial mm. justice initiatives or some kind of nonprofit that exist in that sphere of right. you know that's the purpose of what that right. nonprofit is doing um so you had so he marcus literally vetted everybody from what i understand that is yeah. participating in this had conversations with them 
made sure that they were committed to donating uh, profits from the beer mm-hmm. sales. Nice. Very cool stuff. I know, Joe, you uh, maybe well, had you'll, some... Yeah, I did. You know, back in episode 89, we drank our 200th beer. Mm-hmm. So we, we have covered beer statistics on this show. The beers that we drink, we're still at... And, and I'm not including tonight's beers in our statistics because I frankly don't know where we're going on this journey yet. But <laughs> in 99 episodes, we've had 221 beers, 158 breweries, 41 states. We're still... So close. We're, we're missing some states. If you're listening so from close. Connecticut, Kansas, Nebraska, Nevada, New Jersey, Rhode Island... South Dakota, West Virginia, or Wyoming, we would love to talk to you. South Dakota is not a real country. It's a nuclear testing ground. Nobody lives there. Okay, well, South South Dakota, we know that you're not going to participate now because of course this is a fight. And I think we have one or two of these lined up for the future, but if you're from one of those states, get in touch with us. So tonight's tonight's little statistics I've been going through, I listened to a bunch of old episodes because we hadn't written down, we hadn't captured what movies and directors the next round of of data i'll do is going to be um stars how many films in 99 episodes do you think that we have covered we we always do two mostly (laughs) i would say 212 220 220 Ah, pretty close now we we have some favorite directors clearly how many directors do you think that we've covered in those 220 films 75 104 146 146. there you go yeah our number one yeah our number one director anyone want to take a guess I can't do that one. It depends on how you're counting. I mean, we've done a couple of those, like trying to go through an entire director's filmography, but you're not counting those ones, are you? I am counting those oh. ones. If we talked about a film, then I'm going to guess maybe Linklater. It's not Linklater. Car- Carlos, your bo- your boy. It's my boy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know what that means. John Carpenter, come oh, on, Oh, fuck man. yeah. My guy. Of all of his the fi- guy, his guy. That is my Of guy. all of the films that we have discussed, the we most did do a lot from of John any Carpenter. one director is John Carpenter with eight. Because David, we did the you- Halloween episode. We did uh, with Jeremy Pinkat. No, uh, we did we did the John Carpenter episode where we talked about six films. Well, no, I was yes, I was starting right. chronologically. We did oh, Halloween with Pink Cat first, yep. where he said he didn't like it because he's an awful human being. And yeah, then that, we that, also did our John Car- our John Carpenter Halloween Spectacular. Which was six films. Six films. And we also did the uh soundtrack episode. Yeah, yeah. we did. And we did Memoir of an Invisible Man. That's yes, right. That's wow. Right. Now, it tied for second place for seven films by a director is, you were right, David, Link Richard Linklater. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But Wait, tied, so tied with, with him, who? M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan, a ding dong? Because <laughs> we talked about everything when we did Split, I bet. We did, a, the, we did the Split trilogy. Yeah. Uh, in, in fourth place, Harmony Corinne. Fuck yes. And in fifth place from Texas, anyone? Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez. All right. And then it goes down. It goes from there. Um, okay. Fuck yeah. Okay. Okay. Here's some statistics that I just did. We started the um, 
podcast in 2018, and our format typically, when we're not in corona times, is a new release and then some kind of companion film. So -hmm. if you consider that in 2018, 2019, and the first part of 2020, all of those years were very heavily involved, uh, the average year of release of all the films that we've reviewed is 2005. But if you take out 2018, 2019, the average release, the average year of release is 2000, I'm sorry, is 1996. (laughs) We, we skew modern. Yeah. Yeah. Now we've talked about this recently. So y'all know the answer to this one. What's the oldest movie that we've reviewed? World's most Most dangerous dangerous game. game. The world's most dangerous game from 1930, 32. 32. And then the next oldest film, or, or it's a little, it's a little newer, but. You oh, uh, Great Dictator? The Great Dictator, okay. 1940. Yeah. Okay, so we, scre- we skewed uh, contemporary one film from the 30s, one film from the 40s, two films from the 50s, and then it kind of goes up from there. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have reviewed zero films from my birth year because we haven't done The Godfather. No yet. 1927 films. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, we have, we have, we, we've... We've only done talkies. Uh, <laughs> gotta do the jazz uh, singer. We have reviewed one film from David's birth year. We did. What? Wait, oh, so you were born in the sixties? You know, yeah, I was born. Yeah, we all. Uh, uh, I was were... close with um, with um, Easy Rider. No, dude, I was born in nineteen seventy-two. Well, Godfather. David Come was on. born in seventies as well. I was he born was in seventy-eight. Bo- but what was yeah. the film we did from seventy-eight? Halloween. Ah, yes, oh, yes, yes. Okay, so. You were saying birth year. I thought you were saying birth decade. No, birth year, 1972 for me. We have not done The Godfather yet, so we haven't done any films from 1972. Well, have, have we done any from Carlos's Yeah, birth have we year? done any from mine? Two. Two? Yeah. What are they? David, David, are you ready to feel old? Wait, Hudson Hawk? Was that? <laughs> no. Did we do Hudson Hawk? We no, did. we did do Hudson Hawk. Oh, man, I blocked that out. Remember the failures or the, oh, the box office yeah, bomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 We did El Mariachi. Oh, okay. And right. memoir and memoirs of an invisible man. David, oh, that do you was 92. Wow. David, do you feel old yet? Yeah, I mean the, the, yeah. definitely. I mean th- those are films that don't seem that old to me, but yes, when you put it that way that uh, for for our set for our 200th anniversary, I'm going to start doing movie stars and other 200th anniversary. We'll be doing I, this I 200 li- years. Yeah, I, I like to bring the data to the episode. I thought, I thought that would be a well, fun we, thing to do. Okay, we love that. so data aside, yeah. we have to talk about another movie, right? Yeah. Let's uh, get yeah. into it. Oh, Carlos, sure. which one did you we need pick? To, we need to create more data. <laughs> we yeah. need to create more data. So I picked this film because of a Brockhampton lyric. Nick Cage with the face off. John Travolta when I take off. But I chose Face Off. Um, it is a John Woo directed film. Uh, it stars Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Um, and it is literally about two guys that swap faces. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That's I mean, faces, you know, body hair, bodies, body composition. Yeah, all of it. Um, yeah. Nicholas Cage. That, that's plays. a problem. That that is a little bit of a problem. That's the conflict. Yeah, <laughs> David. So. David, this is not a film to use your brain for. <laughs> or maybe clearly it is. not. Clearly, 
<laughs> anyway, so this is okay. So Nicholas Cage plays a guy named Caster Troy. Uh, Hold on, Carlos. Call, I have to ask you: Did you have a trouble picking a film, or did you just hear Brockhampton and pick it? What else might have you picked? Oh, what are your God? I had such a hard time. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know you wanted to do nat- National Treasure. I did want to do National Treasure. I really did. Um, Book of Secrets, even more so. But yeah, I love National Treasure, the first one. Like unironically, I think it's such a good movie. It's, um, it's not bad. It's a good mainstream action film, no doubt. Yeah. So there's that one. Adaptation is always at the top of my oh, list. Yeah. I mean, I love that movie. It is. So why'd you choose Face so Off? So incredible. I realistically, at the end of the day, you know, we could get like I, okay, so. Matchstick Men is also really up there for me as far as mm-hmm. Nick Cage movies go. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell. Uh, Sam Rockwell. Love Sam Rockwell. This is a Sam Rockwell podcast. It sure uh, is. We have definitely uh, sung our praises for Sam Rockwell in the past. Um, but really, I thought that like doing a blockbuster action movie nick cage film was important because that is obviously something he's very known for but Um, you could have gone con air the rock i I mean the rock okay so the rock was right under face off for me Mm. um it's one of the few it's one of the two michael bay movies that gets a pass from me um what's the other one bad boys Uh clearly uh and but i wanted to go face off because it's a little crazier than the rock a little uh, and so so i thought it would i thought it'd be a good one to do if we're going fully unhinged full frontal cage for cage match mm-hmm. there uh, you go and well, hey do, well, do, you, do you mind if i put it in context two years prior in 1995 cage did leaving las vegas yes which he won an which, oscar for he won the oscar he won the golden globe he yeah. had all the juice in hollywood yes and mm-hmm. what what did he do with it three Big budget, super success, successful action films in a row. Yeah. The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off. Yeah. So, so Face Off, um, it's a John Woo action film. Uh, Nicolas Cage plays a notorious like international criminal named Caster Troy who uh, attempted to kill... Um, what is he, an FBI agent, right? Uh, yeah. Sean Archer, a, played by John Travolta. An FBI agent in a secret, unknown faction of the FBI. Yeah. Uh, Sean Archer, played by John Travolta, famous Scientologist. Um, and in an attempt to kill Sean Archer, uh, played by John Travolta, uh, Castor Troy, played by Nicholas Gage, kills Sean Archer's son, Uh and his like nine year old son or whatever, or something like that. Um, very, in slow motion. In slow on a motion. Slow, yeah, on a slow motion on a carousel. carousel. Yeah. <laughs> very slow motion. And so Sean Archer has this vendetta against him and just puts everything he can into trying to catch Castro Troy, trying to take him down. Now, mm-hmm. uh, through a crazy series of events, uh, Nicholas Cage is in a priest outfit. He's headbanging, he's grabbing ass, and he is trying to set this like bomb in like the, what is it the los angeles convention center or something like that and yeah. um, he is killed it doesn't matter and then they find out that there's this bomb there and that only his brother knows about it because castro troy is dead and so then john travolta undergoes this like experimental controversial kind of experimental but like 
flawlessly, flawlessly perfect. <laughs> it's like it's conceivably the first time that it's ever been done, and it is done to absolute perfection. And so he switches. Or just grafting the skin on somebody's face actually changes the physical composition of their body the as voice well. Changes their yes. vocal cords, the whole thing. And so they take Nicolas Cage's face, aka Castor Troy, and they put it on Sean Archer, aka John Travolta, change all parts of his body, the bullet wound uh -huh. scar that he has on his chest, the whole fucking thing change his voice throw him into prison with his brother where he's trying to play this person who is the antithesis of who he actually is and mm -hmm. trying to convince pollock troy castor troy's brother that it's really him and yada 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 and then Castor Troy wakes up and is like, where's my fucking face? Somehow he is okay, despite but having literally no skin on his face. <laughs> there's John Travolta's face in a jar. And he's like, oh, oh there I it think. is. It Put his face perfectly. on my face. There, there, oh my God. Like Put it's a museum. his face on my face right now. <laughs> and then that happens. And Castor Troy, who is now John Travolta, uh, kills the whole, all of them and sets the fucking shit on fire and then goes and lives Sean Archer's life but as the crazy maniacal uh absolutely untethered Castor Troy he's having sex with Sean Ar Sean Archer's wife he's running the FBI like a crazy person he is he's, he's just being like inappropriate with Sean Archer's daughter yes he's very inappropriate with Sean Archer's daughter now that you bring that up but one of so one of my favorite parts about this movie is that Nicolas Cage shows up to work and he gives this performance as this priest or whatever and basically like lays down the gauntlet for John Travolta and is like, you need to get here. Because mm. so from what I understand, John Travolta did not realize how insane Nick Cage was going to be in this movie. And so mm -hmm. when he's and they saw each other's dailies and were able to kind of like ba balance off of each other. And so John Travolta saw what Nick Cage did and was like, oh, shit, I have to get there. Mm -hmm. Like, this is where I have to live. Which and, for John Travolta is doable because we've seen him be incredible prior to now. Really? Sure. I guess oh, maybe. Come on. I don't know. Fiction, I, Greek. Come yeah, on. no, okay. Fine. He's he, fine in it. Right. Pulp Fiction is fine. He doesn't have a hard job in that film. I don't, I don't, I was going to say, like, this film has so much that I love about it. The, the insanity of the plot, the, 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 like, incredible level of suspension of disbelief one has to go into this with to just hang with it for the two plus hours. I have some that, beefs with this that so but i like that i like it when films it's funny to me when there's a mainstream film that to me there's almost avant-garde qualities to it because it's like asking you to accept so much bullshit that <laughs> you should be rejected but john travolta is a shitty actor he's a terrible actor i don't like him I don't like seeing his face. I, hate I don't his face. like watching his performances. I do in Pulp Fiction. It's okay to an extent, partly because he's got the wig and partly because um, the the costuming it kind of hides him for me enough. And the meme. And, and, well, and he's, he's and a meme out of it. And, and I was going to say Samuel L. Jackson as Jules really 
is the anchor of that duo that I like he, he brings the gravitas. That's, that's where I'm interested. That's where my focus is in those scenes with them. Um, and when he gets shot by Bruce Willis, that's fine too. But, but you know, sitting on the can, this watching this film was a reminder of how little regard I have for John Travolta. As a <laughs> and, and I feel bad saying that, you know, recording this, his his wife just died early age. I feel rest in peace. I have much more respect for Kelly Preston than I do him, um, as a, as a screen presence. I mean, Space Camp is a, is a fun, uh, you know, sort of a movie from my childhood. We should do her on an episode someday because there there are a few films there with her that I really enjoy. Him, on the other hand, even the films that I like, it's kind of despite him. <laughs> So that that really hinders my enjoyment of this film. Once I let right. go of that, and actually once he gets into doing the Nick Cage impersonation, there is some fun stuff in there because he can't quite pull it off, but it's kind of fun to watch him try. Right, well, first Joe, of all, I, well, I was going to say, I mean, I agree with David. Check your brain at the door. I mean, this is a, this is a concept film, and if you don't buy the concept, you're out. Okay. So you, you have to you decide continue, to go with it. Yeah, go ahead. Did y'all see the wires? There's there are several scenes where you can see the wires on the actors. Oh, okay. Oh, oh I didn't notice it's that. It's bad. It's yeah. so huh. bad. And how we, how weird given the budget of the film they could have you digitally could see, erased. Oh, it was me and Kylie both noticed on several occasions. Oh, there's the wire right there. Okay, so David, your analysis of John Travolta's involvement of the film is making me understand my next thought a little bit better when I oh. had it while watching the film. There was a lot of twisted in this film. Mm. And given what we just discussed with Vampire's Kiss, you don't really believe that Nicolas Cage in a film that's twisted and the film that we're about to talk about will, I think, really back me up. But John Travolta doesn't do twisted very often. No, uh, he and Wu, he and Wu together had done Broken Arrow, pretty straightforward, you know, a action film. Pulp Fiction, there's a little twisted in there, but I I'm giving Travolta more credit than you are for his performance in that film. Mm -hmm. Grease, Saturday Night Fever, <laughs> not a lot of twisted. Yikes! No, by taking one another's identities, Nicolas Cage as Travolta gets to sleep with Travolta's wife. Right. Now, when the surgeon outlined the different ways that the bodies of each subject would be different, he didn't mention Wiener, but okay. You know, I mean, I guess, you know, he can he can figure out the, that the wife. That is a good point that I well, did not hey, consider. She, yeah. she, hadn't been, she hadn't been with him in over two months as per her diary, so she might have yeah. forgotten. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't okay. know. I don't think that's enough yeah. time to forget. I don't, know. I don't think that's anyway. enough time to forget. But he, oh, can, come he, on. he can speak very suggestively to, quote unquote, his own daughter. Right. You know, here's what's good about this movie. I mean, Castor Troy wants to fuck John Travolta's daughter, clearly. Yeah, sure. I mean, and, and, and uh, but, that, but that's in, conceptual and weird and but bizarre. But in Sean Archer's skin, it's right. weird. 
and here's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, here's what I liked about what's the uncomfortable movie. is who really is with his daughter. Danny Masterson showed up in there, which Ooh, I yes, that's bad. <laughs> that's very bad. I hadn't remembered that, and as I was watching it, I'm like, oh god, this guy's in this thing. Anyway, sorry, Joe. No, it's okay. Here's what I liked about the movie: the mental exercise of keeping up with who's who. That's not Travolta. That's Travolta acting like Cage, acting like Travolta. Mm-hmm. And that's us as the audience being able to have a really, I think, good time if you can, like I said earlier, check your brain at the door. Because this is a John Woo movie. Constantly moving camera. Birds where birds don't make sense. Oh, <laughs> they don't make any sense. It's incredible. Uh, yeah, o- o- over the top action. Car chases. Yeah, just doves. Secret yeah. underwater prisons with magnetic boots, you know, tons of gunplay, often while doing somersaults. I mean, this is John yeah, Woo. Fuck it. This is what we're gonna get. Um, but then there's the actor acting exercise itself, which I can only assume that Travolta and Cage really, really enjoyed. I think that they both pull it off pretty damn well. Mm-hmm. And that's me being Nicholas Cage being me or me being John Travolta being me. That's a lot of fun to have as an actor in a big budget film. And there's a big element of fun here. So, okay. So here, here's where I'm at with this, right? Is I hate John Travolta just in general. There's nothing about him that I find interesting or appealing or sympathetic or whatever. Can't stand him. And so the fact that he is playing Castor Troy, the villain, makes it easier to not like him. Sure. But the fact that Caster Troy is actually Nick Cage, who is now Sean Archer, may like who to root for gets very can like complicated for me yeah. because like I yeah. like Nick Cage more than John Travolta. So I want Caster Troy to be the hero and come out on top. But then but Nick not. Cage is playing Sean Archer, so it's like, okay, do I like Sean Archer now? Or like whatever? And so even though John Travolta doesn't quite pull off what Nick Cage would be able to pull off as Caster Troy, I still think that it's interesting enough, and I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck this guy, you know? But just who to root for and who not to gets kind of complicated and confusing, and I do think that Nick Cage was really robbed in this movie of being able to play this maniacal, villainous character because he's really only Castor Troy for like 15 minutes. And it's, that was it's a role that was that. made for him. It's longer than that. And the only reason I know it is because that, oh, you know, that first act of the film where it sets up the characters, I just got so sick of Sean Archer in that time. God, it felt like a... an hour to me. I, it, I hate him. There's no sympathy built up for that character. Uh, I don't know. It's a, I, I like all the I like all the uh, cinematic technique that Wu brings to it. I love the the overuse of slow motion in those action oh, sequences. Oh, it's amazing! It's you know it is a trademark of his. The birds, you know what, what you guys it's are talking ban- about. It's bananas. It is fun to watch um, from that standpoint, but I just I can't help but feel if there was somebody else in there other than John Travolta, this Literally could have been anyone. <laughs> This this could have really and apparently give me Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah, that would have worked. The first choices though were actually not even Cage involved. It was Stallone and Schwarzenegger. This was a vehicle no! that was supposed to be yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would have been supposed so to... bad. <sighs> so bad it's good. <laughs> who, who would, hold on. Who would have done a better job 
as acting as Stallone as Schwarzenegger or acting as Schwarzenegger as Stallone. Who would have done a better job? Stallone would have been a better Schwarzenegger than Schwarzenegger would have been a Stallone, for sure. You think so? Yeah. Schwarzenegger is incapable of doing a voice that's not his own. Yeah. That's probably true. I think. Adrian! Well, (laughs) anyway. Whatever the case here, I think we can all agree that Nick Cage was not the weak link in this film. And and he definitely delivered some excellent excellent scenes some excellent lines wait so Um, i have a question sure if this movie were coming out in 2020 who would you cast as who Ooh. i know i'm just springing this on you and it's Uh, okay i'm gonna i'm just gonna throw this out there shia labeouf in a dual role oh i'm okay (laughs) do you know what i'm gonna go I'm going to go Shia and Robert Pattinson. <laughs> oh, really? Huh. Shia yeah. and Robert Pattinson. Actually, I'm going to go I think the Rock and Jason Shia... Statham and <laughs> make really uh, Carlos just ejaculate. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I actually take back my my uh, decision. <laughs> I'm going to go Shia and Lakeith Stanfield. <laughs> Shia and Lakeith Stanfield. I think yeah, that yeah. is Very as good as it could get. Fantastic. They're both totally be... unhinged actors. Uh, it's fa- it's fa- it's fascinating to me that when you look back at this moment in cinematic mainstream <laughs> cinematic history, that these are the two, like, yeah, the Schwarzenegger and the Stallone of this era, Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. What did Tarantino do to John Travolta's career and bank account? Uh, well, he yeah. saved it. You know, one hundred percent saved it. And then Nicolas Cage, on the heels of leaving Las Vegas, gets to do whatever he wants to do, and he's clearly cashing in. What a f- well, interesting time for cinema. He clearly has fun with these films. He likes sure. these I think, big, bombastic. I mean, I can't speak to Con Air and The Rock was the other one. Yeah. I can't speak to those two. But Welcome to The Rock. But I know, ba- I know based on what... Um, he said in that GQ video about face off was that he saw it as an opportunity to take that German expressionistic style, that over the top, almost operatic kind Mm -hmm. of style of acting and put it into something that had mainstream potential. And that is one of the reasons that he took face off. And one of the reasons that he likes face off as much as he did, uh, is that he was able to do to have this big performance and one of the things he says in that video um is that his only regret is that he didn't get his enough time to play Caster Troy and that he would like to do a movie where he's Caster Troy the entire time uh, now that I would want to see. That would yeah, be amazing. Got, and I think he's got the clout to pull it off and I I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that he hasn't yeah okay well he reached into the depths of his soul for this performance clearly as we reach into the depths of the cavernous bomb what did we find with this beer pairing i think this is a very good beer i'm enjoying it quite a bit it is packed with flavor um the chilies that i got on the nose were there but really balanced i mean it yeah. is not one of those like super hot chili beers where you're just kind of like it's having not like to the hurt 
No. The hurt was legit spicy. But, you know, nicely balanced with the coffee and the cacao. You know, I love Prairie. We've had them on the podcast many times before. I'm a fan of Weathered Souls. Two great tastes that taste great together. I'm loving this one. You know, I don't like the dark beers in the summer, but God dang it, this is <laughs> fantastic. Good thing you get the AC going, yeah. No, th- this is fantastic. And, you know, Weathered Souls is doing some great things, not only in their beer, you know, business model, but socially. Uh, they're Texas, so that gives them extra points for the three of us. They're South Texas, technically. Yeah, you're right. You're right. San Antonio. San Antonio is about to uh, the cut off. I am. Th- this cavernous is one that I'd want to get a four pack or a six pack, however they sell it, and keep a few in my refrigerator for when the my closest friends come over, which of course is not right now because I can't have <laughs> friends over. So, but hypothetical friends, yes. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm with for you. Sure. I'm with you. 100%. Yeah, I, I only have hypothetical friends, David. <laughs> Nowadays, we me all me and my me and my puppets. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. And again, I, I love it. You know, we were talking earlier. It's fun when our our friends and listeners, and that's all our listeners are our friends. Um, that you know are kind enough to share their beer with us. And so another hat tip to Daniel here for uh, procuring and sharing it because, boy, this is tasty. And I know he knows how good it is, so it probably wasn't easy to part with. That 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 12.8, I'm feeling every bit of it. Yeah. This one's 11.1. Well, this is is shows how much you're feeling it. This is pushing us into that final final segment here where we're going to look at one more Nick Cage film. Which David, I, this David, this is your pick. This is my pick. Maybe a controversial selection, maybe one that a lot of people won't be comfortable with for good reason. Uh, and we will reveal what that is when we come back. <laughs> So, once we kidnap Super Cop, then what? Tiny surgery. I'd like to take his his face off. Yes. you. Excuse me, I have to use the little boy's wee-wee room. You want to take his face? Yes. His face. Oh. The eyes, nose, skin. It's coming off. The face. No more drugs for that man. And we're back. We are back. Oh, okay. We are back. And uh, at the very beginning of the episode, we opened a beer with Ziplocs and bowls and potential gushing problems. It was the Weathered Souls Player Haters Ball. I remind you that Weathered Souls is out of San Antonio, Texas. 
And it is time for us to pour this thing. It's had, I don't know, an hour and a half or so to settle down. I still got a big fat head on mine when I pour it in. 12.8% ABV, an imperial stout with peanut butter, marshmallows, and toasted cacao nibs. I cannot wait. I've been waiting for, oh my God, it's pouring like a... It's pouring like the oil that we discussed a couple episodes ago with uh, There Will Be Blood. Right. And man, and I do. It was a good call on Carlos's part to let this thing settle down because even now, yeah, that, that's a pretty uh, tremendous head that uh, we're getting on our glasses. But, you know, I brewed, kombucha, I, I brewed kombucha for a bit. There's a second fermentation where you add sugar, you add uh, fruit, and you can get some explosions. This thing is exploding. Do see what that? I hope. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of head. Yeah, that's an inch of beer and two inches of head. I'm I'm more like an inch, a half inch head, but I cannot wait to get myself into this. David, I cannot wait for you to tell us what you chose as your you. I think you were the yeah, you were the the first one to pick a film. What of all of Nicolas Cage's films did you want to bring to the party tonight? Well, yeah, it wasn't necessarily an easy choice. There, there were definitely, a, you know, Carlos has already mentioned adaptation. That that's a film that uh, stands very high in my mind in terms of just great films and also incredible performances there. Where he, you know, maybe we'll tackle that one one day. So I don't want to spoil it too much for. Our I listeners. think we should. Um, you know. <laughs> Joe picked Vampire's Kiss, which was a film that I was eager to revisit um, because I knew of its manic energy and I and I wanted to be able to kind of do a, a full, uh, you know, serious viewing of it and really kind of think about w- what I what I felt with that film. But I think the film of his that I have the most. uh like just visceral experience with seeing in the theater when it came out was bad lieutenant port of call new orleans from 2009 which at the time i kind of went to i mean not exactly on a whim because Werner herzog i knew i like Werner herzog um we've talked about Werner herzog earlier on the podcast um you know, the highly regarded German filmmaker who, who you know, now is kind of based in the States and, and makes a lot of different kinds of films, a lot of documentaries, but also, you know, narrative fiction films. Uh, the original, well, I, the, there's some question as to whether or not this is a sequel or what this exactly is, because there was a film made by Abel Ferrara, uh, the New York-based filmmaker, from 1992 called Bad Lieutenant, starring Harvey Keitel, which was a film that I knew, I had seen, um, had had some respect for. It's very similar in theme in, in some ways. Um, but this new film coming out, new at the time, 2009, was going to be sort of a sequel slash spiritual successor or what, I don't remake. know, what, yeah. remake of this other film that I had seen starring Nick Cage um, and Eva Mendez, who had just 
been paired with him in Ghost Rider, what, like a year yeah. or two before? Right. So also famously I, paired with Will Smith and Hitch, a uh, that's right. classic. Right around that time. Um, but also also with, you know, supporting cast, including Val Kilmer, Brad Dorif, uh, Jennifer Coolidge, who, who we talked about a little bit when we were talking about Best in Show. Anyway, so th- this kind of interest and cast and it, and I remember going to it but but still kind of thinking like well what is this is this like some kind of sequel to it and just I it was one of those afternoons in the movie theater that you cannot possibly try to recreate for yourself if you try to see a film like that if you try, like it just not it's not going to happen it just does occasionally where a film comes together this way it was so crazy dark unhinged complemented by such an interesting and strange performance from Nick Cage and and much of the supporting cast who are kind of playing the straight Exhibit. persons to him. Exhibit, right, you're right. That that is a great uh turn by Exhibit in in this film. It just it was it was a film that I felt like I needed to go back to and I needed to hear what you guys thought about because it was such a singular experience for me when I saw it the first time. Well, 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 David, give us the give us a little plot synopsis. What's this movie about? It's about a guy who's a lieutenant on the police force who's really bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, no, but seriously, shortest, I mean, shortest, most accurate film description <laughs> we've ever had on the podcast. So, I mean, the, to to flesh it out a little bit, Terrence McDonough, the Nicholas Cage character, is a uh, policeman in New Orleans. Uh, as the film begins, it's right as Hurricane Tr- Katrina has hit, and he's kind of like, you know, into this nefarious activity with his partner um, at, at the station, right? Val Kilmer. And he happens to decide in a very flippant way after they give the guy a hard time to save a prisoner who's been left behind in uh, a cell in the police station. In, the, in a flooding cell. Right. Um, so it saves him and is kind of commended, is promoted up to lieutenant. And then we pick up with him about six months later where because of an accident, an injury that he sustained while he was rescuing this prisoner, uh, he has sort of chronic back pain. And so he's prescribed painkillers, uh, clonopin, I think. And though we can see that clearly... He's added to that with his use of cocaine, weed, crack. I mean, any anything you can get that comes across his path. So he's a very heavily drug addicted police lieutenant who has a prostitute girlfriend played by Eva Mendez, uh, who gets embroiled in a situation because of his own hubris. Right? I mean, because he thinks he can kind of just throw his weight around and do whatever he wants. He threatens some of the wrong people. He gets into some bad situations. And we see that all unfold. You know, it's certainly a good bookend to Vampire's Kiss because so many of the similar elements are at play. Mm. The loud, bombastic descent into madness that, you know, Nicolas Cage does to a T. I was doing some research. Here's the first paragraph from Peter Travers's review in Rolling Stone. <laughs> there are few things more entertaining than watching Nicolas Cage go bug fuck in a movie <laughs> that knows how to present the spectacle in style. To my list of fave, fave, he says, 
this is a fucking professional uh, writer in Rolling Stone. <laughs> to my list of fave cage meltdowns, Vampire's Kiss, Wild at Heart, and Face Off. Uh, Add this bad boy from director Werner Herzog, no stranger to diving off the deep end. What a fantastic film for you to have ch- ch- chosen for us. To see. <laughs> there so is I, all man. There is all manner of fucked up in this movie. There, uh, there is, and I think that you know, I think it's interesting that you know, as far back as Vampires Kiss, uh, Nick Cage has been interested in this German expressionistic kind of acting, going as far back as Metropolis, and. But he heralds himself as this California Klaus Kinski, this, you know, kind of very expressive actor that is able to um, kind of go over the top and be very operatic and, uh, you know, almost vaudevillian and... Then it, to nouveau leave. shamanic, yeah, whatever you said, David, and then to link up with Werner Herzog for this movie. And if and at this point, I've talked about it so much that we are going to link it in some of our promo material for this episode. But that GQ episode where he or that GQ video where he talks about you know his most iconic performances, he talks about this movie and he talks about doing this film with Werner Herzog and wanting to challenge Werner and wanting to push him and, you know, bring this kind of intense energy to the film and, you know, get Ver- get Werner to a point where he's kind of uncomfortable with what Cage is doing. And one of the things that he talks about is that he had, you know, this um, cocaine substitute uh, that you know they'll give actors to like do in scenes. It's like a saccharine sure. kind of sweetener almost. And off camera, he's snorting this substance, and he's like trying to psych himself up and get into the character. And Werner mm-hmm. comes up right before they're about to, you know, roll the take, and it's like, "What is that that you're snorting?" And he's like, "It's cocaine." It's cocaine. And then they call action, and that's the scene where he's talking to exhibit and he's psyching himself up before that scene, like completely convincing himself in his mind at that point that he is on cocaine and everyone in the, on the set is like, what's going on, you know? And like just his commitment. (laughs) I mean, I think, I think the, I think the only person that rivals Nicholas Cage's commitment to a role is Shia LaBeouf because he's full on like taking teeth out and getting tattoos and like doing all this like very permanent shit to like get into a role. But like Nick Cage is right there. He's like fully investing into like the psychological elements of like these characters that he's playing and trying to put himself into those situations and not break the, you know, kind of world that he's created for himself in his head and trying not to break the reality of the character he's creating. And I think that in this movie, you really see that like you really, he's really full on like a totally opioid addicted, you know, police officer who's like willing to operate outside the law and mm-hmm. is willing to play by his own rules. And he, you know, you know, granted he's at the, you know, he's, you know, at the mercy of this brilliant filmmaker, Werner Herzog, you know, who is, 
proven time and time again, like, I mean, as far back as his his Nosferatu with Klaus Kinski, you know, with the score by Popova and this incredible, you know, kind of atmospheric, operatic, like, take on the vampire lore. I mean, go back so far into Werner's career, like, he's done amazing work. And I think the two of them together... I mean, I can't believe it took until 2009 or whenever it was for us to get that because they, I mean, they were made for each other, I think. Yeah. You know, like. Well, and I hope that, and, and honestly, you know, watching this, it, it makes me hope they get back together again at some point. Oh, it'd be it, amazing. It's, it, it is, it, it was an incredible film that I just, like I said, even though all the ingredients I understood, I remember going into it and feeling like, okay, but can this really exist? Is this really a thing? <laughs> and until I saw it unfold before my eyes in a theater with maybe a dozen other people, and you better believe, I mean, I, I guess this doesn't come up as much on the podcast now that we aren't going to theaters to see these things, but I, I think our, our devoted listeners maybe know that I have a rather um, loud and notable laugh. Yeah. And I don't think... And, and, you, and you sit on the very front row. Yeah, I do often. I I don't think I have laughed at hard as hard at a film that I felt inappropriate about how much I was laughing at as this one. Like it because I was just floored by some of these like the, the film just goes deeper and deeper into the depravity. He goes like every time you think this, you know, the, the McDonough character has reached some kind of bottom, magically something happens that allows him to keep existing and and somehow getting through with it. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, watching this film though, I do I do think it's interesting in our current moment where, you know, we're we're kind of reevaluating what's the role of police and you know, what are the origins of police and what yeah. what kind of power they wield. Yeah. It was interesting to rewatch this and think about this is kind of a per perfect encapsulation of how much shit people on that side of things, you know, in, the, in that profession can get away with if oh, they yeah. manipulate their power and kind of use it. Now, I mean, he's the anti-hero. He's the one who we follow much more so than, than, than even the other films we're talking about. Like, I think we do on some level kind of root for him because he has these other nefarious elements, these gangsters and stuff who are kind of coming after him. And even though he's making poor decisions all along, you, you maybe root for him a little bit. Um, and he, and he ends up getting out of it all pretty much scot-free and able to carry on with the life that he, <laughs> you know, this, this horribly corrupt, terrible life that he has chosen for himself. Well, David, David, you said something interesting. I'm going to challenge you. Okay, you you said that Cage is at the mercy of Herzog, or was I think Herzog... Carlos said that? Okay, right. I didn't say Carlos... he was at the mercy, but I just said that like Carlos, you said something interesting. I'm going to challenge you. You said that Cage is at the mercy of Herzog, or was Herzog at the mercy of Cage? I think depending on the scene, it varies. Because, David, you did a great job at plot synopsis, but how much of the plot did you really describe? There's so much more plot here than what you were able to describe in the two-hour running time. <laughs> well, we, I, we haven't talked about the reptilian motif. Okay, that, so that's, uh... <laughs> that, that's what I was about to get at in response to Joe's challenging of my okay. assessment of this film. I, I challenge think, you. I think that the, I think that there are scenes like where 
you know, Cage is coming at exhibit. Like that's that that is a moment where Herzog is at the mercy of Nicolas Cage and what he wants to do and what he thinks is right for that moment and him psyching himself up and getting just like fucking in just crazy like into that role and just taking it to a new place. But then I also think Cage is at the mercy of Herzog where Herzog is like I don't give a shit about getting a close up of you. I'm going to shoot these iguanas. <laughs> and I'm going to get right up in these iguanas and these lizards. We're going to strap and a camera are, to this alligator. Yeah, and you are going to be the in the background, out of focus, mm-hmm. and I don't give a fuck what you think about it. And Herzog is just like, this is what I want to do. Fucking deal with it. And I think that there's like, I think that in this movie, there's this really interesting push-pull between the director and the main actor. And just it's almost like them vying for power and almost them trying to prove who is the uh, bigger auteur of the two of them. And I think that their challenging of each other brings this like really interesting kind of tone and you know vibe out of this film that had you paired any other director with any other actor, you wouldn't have gotten. But I think that the two of them just have such an interesting, slightly antagonistic relationship that they're able to really create this insane thing that works way better than it should. Well, David, I I was saying you did, you did a great plot synopsis, but how much of the plot did you describe? There is so much meat here to digest, but here's the thing. How many crime procedural films have we seen? They're kind of boring. Mm-hmm. They can be. That's not what this film is. The plot doesn't matter. We are eating a huge bowl of Louisiana gumbo, and the <laughs> and the rest and the recipe is not important. The finished what's product impor- is important. No, what's important is the flavor. And the taste of it. Mm. And I, I have seen this film twice. The first time was with Ethan in the previous podcast. Oh, wow. I have not watched it since. Shouts out, Ethan. Mm-hmm. But watching it this time, I'm going to tell you, this is one of my top 30 favorite films. Wow. And I did not know that prior to watching it again. It's amazing. It is a study in interesting <laughs> Kylie, and I, Kylie and I watched this movie together and at the end of it we both looked at each other like what the fuck just happened like that was crazy so was this was this your first time seeing it now every single film in this episode I'd never seen before oh okay wow wow all the, all the cage talk I was I, I thought you'd maybe seen so well, You've I'm, got the biggest cage boner. I'm so I'm, surprised. I'm a, I do well, have, and I it's do have only, a massive boner for cage. And I was going to say, it's only gotten bigger this episode. It has. Yeah. You know, I, I'm He's glad a, I'm, I'm glad this brought, brought you to this film. I think the, the point that you were making earlier, Carlos, about how uh, Herzog and, and uh, Cage are, are sort of, you know, butting heads in a certain way with this – it fits perfectly with the fact that he compares himself to Kinski. I mean, that yeah. was the relationship that Herzog and Kinski had. And that's why I remember seeing this film and I still feel this way today. It's as close as we're going to get to seeing another 
Herzog Kinski collaboration as we ever will because you know yeah. has died. So it, it's it's pretty amazing to see him match up, pair up with an actor like that. I mean, I had high hopes with Christian Bale's uh, Rescue Dawn uh, film, which was pretty good, but doesn't reach the heights of this. Um, you know, the material maybe doesn't allow it either. But I don't think Christian Bale is up for what Nicolas Cage is up for. Maybe. maybe. I, think, I, I think he could. I think, I think he could. I mean, I think Christian Bale's a magnificent actor and yeah. is completely capable of transforming into another person. But yeah. I think, I just think that, I don't think that Bale is willing to take that extra step. Yeah. I don't think he's willing no. to push the envelope in the way that Nicolas Cage is. Right. Oh, my God. Oh, we're talking about the guy that lost 50 pounds <laughs> with a mechanic? No, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I mean, I agree that he's committed, and I agree that he is one of the greatest method actors we've ever seen in our time. But I think that Christian Bale's performances are so grounded in the character and are more dedicated to realism and, you know being that person in a believable way. Whereas I think Nick Cage is just fully here to take something as far as he can possibly take it. You know, the, the only, the only Herzog we've done prior to now was into, into the, the abyss, abyss right. the documentary about the death, uh, death row that we did as a companion to just mercy Mm-hmm. Right, and this is our first um, Herzog narrative. Narrative, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what the most interesting thing to me about this movie is? Is the you presence almost of... sounded like Nick Cage just now. You know what the most interesting thing about this movie <laughs> no. is? What the most interesting <laughs> thing is about this film? Am I getting through to you? <laughs> is the presence of Val Kilmer? Yeah. Who, who has practically nothing to do. He's got very little screen time in this film. But but just his mere presence makes this movie even crazier. But I think, I that, it's, I, I think that it's the opportunity to work with uh, with uh, Herzog in a narrative role. Oh, okay. They are few and far between. It's funny because I think every other actor in this film, Brad Dourif, Val Kilmer, yeah, Brad, Brad Dourif as the uh, fantastic bookie. He did a great right. job. Yeah, yeah. Ava That's yeah. Mendez. He was in. They, uh, oh. He was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, right? Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and and uh, Deadwood and many other Criminal great things. Yeah. He's, you know, all of these people. I think they saw what was going on with Nicolas Cage and this character, and they knew I'm not going to be able to match this. No, I need, How I could need you? to be. I need to be the base level foundation, with the exception of Shea Wiggum as the Justin character, which I had I didn't know him when I Who saw this film the first time. Yeah, we, we, uh, yeah, go Justin further, character? David. Go, go deeper. The, the guy who he shakes down, who is uh, with uh, Eva Mendez, um, where am I, Frankie? Um, oh, in the hotel room. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, and yes, 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 yes. The the guy, what is his line? God, I'm well, I'm blanking on it. But you know, anyway, who's he, he, right, he, he, the guy he, who's he, connected and who gets the yeah, game? Yeah, he negotiates. Yes, yes, yes. He negotiates the idea that his henchmen are going to be able to have sex with her. Right. Yeah. yeah I'm well, with you. no, 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 no. That's the, the gangster who he brings into it. The, I'm talking about the guy. The, Nicholas uh, Cage storms in on him. And yes. throws a fit. Right. Shakes and, him down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's yeah, yeah. in Boardwalk yeah. Empire. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. I know exactly he's, who you're talking about. 
he's in yeah. Boardwalk Empire. He's, he's great. Been, he's been he's in, in the Fast stuff. films. He's been yeah. But I didn't really know him in 2009. Of course not. And uh, seeing him and realizing that uh, he is the only one in this film who really kind of tries to take on some of the crazy, weird energy. And he does a pretty good job. I got to say, like, it's it's fun to see that kind of uh, dynamic unfold in a couple of those scenes. I think the only thing that I would change about this movie is taking that character and casting him with John Michael Higgins. <laughs> in a nightclub scene with ESG and we'd be and totally we, oh, perfect. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I watch I watched this film with my son and he really, asked what did me, he say about it? Oh, he loved it. Oh, and he, he but he asked, you know, Dad, I've been shaken down just like that with my girlfriend. <laughs> That's right. Oh yet? my god, hold on, hold on. I, I I'm gonna get back to my son in a minute. How disturbing is the scene? When Nicolas Cage, who is only out using his badge to get anything he wants to, oh yeah, it's uh, getting bad. yeah get you know where I'm going, yes. getting with yeah the uh, he's just looking for drugs yeah and he, he finds a couple a male and a female yep. who have <laughs> who are coming out of a club in the middle of the night and it's he bad. wants yeah he just wants to get their drugs so he uses his law badge he uses he uses his you're badge passing drugs. you're yeah. passing drugs oh my god yeah, it's bad i mean yeah. and it, and it's so like it's so pertinent to like our time yeah. currently okay I mean, right you know. okay so anyway i watch it with my son he sees val kilmer he knows val kilmer he From says Batman hey dad Forever. he says hey dad what's val Kil- what's val kilmer's best movie Batman Forever. David? True genius? I said <laughs> I said let's real, real genius. Real real genius. genius. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I said let's watch the doors. Oh, get the oh. fuck out of here. And we watched the doors and oh my god, what a fantastic movie. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Y'all are Batman for an episode called Okay y- Boomer. Y'all are insane. <laughs> oh, fuck y'all. Y'all are insane. <laughs> Anyway, it's Batman Forever. Watch it. Anyway, I wholeheartedly recommend this film to our listeners. Our listeners are our listeners have got a wider understanding of what film is. Our listeners have got an understanding of Herzog and Cage and, and putting those two guys together. This was the highlight for me of watching movies for this episode. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I, I'll, I'm, tell, yeah. I, I'll tell you excited something. Excited to have you guys watch it. Yeah. I'll tell you something that watching these movies, I, you know, this is our second episode of the night recording. I'll, I'll peel that curtain back. Sure. Um, and so that means that I had to watch two other movies for the ep- other episode that we recorded tonight. Mm. And it mm-hmm. was very difficult for me. Because from, I just wanted from, to go ju- from from Justin to Kelly, a future episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to watch every single Nicolas Cage movie I could find after watching these three. Like these three have just reignited my desire to go through literally all 100 plus of his films and watch every single one of them. Like there is just something so magnetic about him there's something so brave about the decisions that he makes 
and just something so interesting about him as an artist and him really trying to push the boundaries of what mainstream American like blockbuster films can be and mm. where you can go with them. And next I, week, I think on Captain Corelli's mandolin and a beer. <laughs> and I, and I, but I, re- I, I do really think that like he is one of, I think he's the bravest actor of our generation. I don't think that there is anybody who is willing to stake well, their reputation on such bold decision making and really just like go for it and, in an uh, unabashed way. And I, and, you know, really. All that acting is, is making choices. When you're an mm-hmm. actor, you're just making decisions about what you think that character is and what you think works best for that film. And Nick Cage makes really bold choices and he really, really goes for it. He never in his entire career has ever played it safe. And well, I he, think that and, is something that hits. is just so interesting about him and makes his performances so captivating. Any hits, any misses. I mean, we well, could have chosen. We could have chosen Wicker Man, and that would have been a complete failure for sure. But, oh. but but when you swing as hard as you can, when every single time you step up to the plate, you swing as hard as you can. When you miss, you're really gonna miss, you know. But mm. when you hit, you fucking knock it out of the park, you know. I'll tell. I'll tell you this. I mean, the Nicolas Cage episode, we've been talking about this for weeks. I mean, we'll just be honest. I mean, we've been talking about what are we going to do for a hundred? We've been talking about it for weeks. Let's do that Nicolas Cage episode that we've always talked about. And I went into it saying, you know what? That's going to be a lot of fun. But I left this episode saying every single film, even, even face off the one that we thought was just, you know, it's shit, but it's fun. Shit for yourself. It's a good movie. This this was the right thing to do. And all three of these films, if you have not watched them, it is time to watch them. And I feel like we could do five other Nicolas Cage episodes where we pick a film from his uh, filmography and have such a success. So is there an actor that you can think of that's better than Nicolas Cage? (laughs) Oh, come on. That's a silly question. He's the greatest actor in American film. That's high praise. Okay, uh, David, would, don't, I, David, don't answer. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> no, I, come on, let's go. Screw, screw Lawrence Olivier and everybody since then. Lawrence Olivier did uh, not have the career Nick Cage, and he was British. He was British, but the, but oh, well, well, limey. Well, no, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I just I think of his generation. I think somebody like Philip Seymour Hoffman ranks a little higher than him in terms of his ability to sort of dial in more subtle performances, but also go huge. I think if we're thinking of range, I I go to somebody like him, but cage is, he is a singular entity. There, there's something there. He, he hits certain notes that I don't know that anybody else can. Yeah. I I'm, I, he is a unique talent in our scene. Do you know how excited to have watched these films? You know, in order to have this conversation, we had to look at Nicolas Cage's filmography. Mm-hmm. Do, you know how many, do you know how many films Nicolas Cage put out in the last two years? 15. In the last two years? Yeah. 15. Two. He's putting out like seven or eight films a year. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Wow. And, and, you know, I haven't seen any of them. Did you see, so color, did you see color Out of Space? No. 
No, he I haven't seen that one. Fantastic in that movie. Yeah, that yeah, is I, a, the trailer that is for that a wonderful film. Yeah. A truly, truly great film. And I think he well, kind of. Why didn't you have us do it on the podcast, man? Well, we're getting yeah, there because we we're wanted to do there. face off. So, <laughs> so a hundred episodes, and I want to talk about our. I hope that we can spend some time talking about our next hundred episodes. But we've got to talk about this amazing. I don't want to play my cards this beer it's an amazing beer <laughs> it's a great beer it is it, it's it's an astonishingly good beer i'm glad we let it settle a little bit i yes. think if this had been beer super too. carbonated and was dancing all over my tongue i wouldn't like it as much that it kind of like sits a little more the peanut butter the, oh, the cacao i mean this this is great yeah uh, you know if you we we purposefully did not put the title of the films in the uh, title of the episode, so that you would not know what you were getting into on our hundredth episode. But um, if you're a player hater, if you're a cage hater, <laughs> then this episode may not be good for you. But a if, player if, hater ball, if, you need to get your hands on some weathered souls. I don't care what kind of underground trading situation you got to get into. If you are <laughs> if you are a Nick Cage hater, then film in general might not be for you. <laughs> I will say that. that if you 20, are not, not willing to go where Nick Cage goes, then the art of filmmaking might not be for you. If you have not seen... Bad Lieutenant, colon, Port, Port, of, of, call. Port of Call, colon, I think, <laughs> uh, New Orleans, you need to get on it immediately. Yeah. And, 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 say, and Weathered Souls, sure you thank back. you for all you're doing. And I would say make sure you get back to Vampire's Kiss. I'm glad yes. that I'm glad that we received that one. And I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners have probably seen Face Off. But you know what? Next time it comes up on cable, don't skip by it. You, 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 you can... You can watch some of that, especially if you're in the second half of the film. You get through the early Sean Archer stuff, and you'll be good. The, okay, so uh, question. Yeah. What are some of your favorite movies that we have not covered? Ooh. Are you, that, now, now, now you're talking the future, Carlos. I right. Because there's, there's 100 more episodes to go. Where are, you, we are you asking me what film, whatever, director, whatever? Is what, is, a whole... what are some of your favorite movies? What are some of your favorite filmmakers that we have not covered that we should cover in oh, our next God. 100 I've episodes? Got, I've got an answer to that. Let's hear it. Well, Jimmy I mean, we, flir we, 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 we flirted with a few tonight, I mean, including The Godfather, but that's a pretty obvious answer. Too obvious. I mean, obvious answer, early Wes Anderson, obvious answer, Boogie <sighs> Nights. You know I want to do Boogie Nights. You know I want to do the Alien franchise, but... Ooh, yes. Love those. For me, I think I'm going to go with, like, the films that we haven't covered that I'd like to cover. I'd like to do an episode on early Terry Gilliam. Oh, mm -hmm. yes, 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 yes. Okay. Time bandits. And, if, I, and, yeah. and if I'm going to program that episode. Here for that. And maybe we'll do it in the next 100. It's time bandits in Brazil. Yes. Yeah. Here yeah. for that. David, what do you think? I mean, there there's a lot uh, that that I would love to touch on at some point. I mean, we, we've talked about this episode, Herzog, and how we've just watched Bad Lieutenant. Port of Call, New Orleans, yeah. and uh, and before that, Into the Abyss. 
But boy, I'd love to tackle some early Herzog at some point uh, with Aguirre, uh, Fitzgeraldo, Strosek, uh, his version of Nosferatu. I mean, I think there, there's a lot there. So Even some other new German cinema with Fassbender. We've never done a Fassbender film. I don't know that we've done any German films. I've already brought up Kurosawa as being something that I would love to do. I mean, to get to that. It, watching Rashomon with you guys would be a lot of fun. Seven Samurai, uh, s- some of those films. And, uh, you know, Cassavetes is another name that's come up. Yeah, when we're we've, talking we've about talked Rosemary's about that Baby. a couple of Yeah, that uh, I, w- I would love to watch some of his films uh, with y'all because they're divisive. They're, they're one of the, I mean, the, the, I, you know, some people love them, some people hate them. So uh, I, I like films that, that divide people and... Uh, Carlos, yeah. where, where do you see us going in the next 100 episodes? What's what's something that we haven't done, Your favorite, one of your favorite films that we haven't talked about yet? Well, I mean, I've said it before, but Lars von Trier is one of my favorite filmmakers. Yeah. Um, I think that he is just, he really pushes the envelope and really dives into some things that some filmmakers are afraid to get into. Um and really just just goes there um in a very visceral way uh and i i love his style of filmmaking and i love um i mean literally everything from the element of crime all the way until you know nymphomaniac like i think that he's just had such an incredible career um i would also like to maybe dive a little deeper into steve mcqueen's filmmaking Um, I really love hunger and shame, um, and shame with shame with with um, Michael Fassbender. Fassbender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I I think some of that early Steve McQueen stuff is really phenomenal. Um, I really, really like him as a filmmaker. Um, I'm I'm, I'm hoping one day that Michael Fassbender and Steve McQueen make a musical together. That's (laughs) my (laughs) ultimate, most fantastical dream. Um, I would love to see that. Um, I would really like to get maybe at some point we do some Jean-Luc Godard uh, or, or, you know, some stuff like that. Um, but I think I think the one movie that I really want to make you guys watch is Josie and the Pussycats. No, oh, thank <laughs> you. No, I'm, de- I'm dead-ass serious when I say that. I, I love, and I, you know, as... As we've gone over in our Cabin in the Woods episode, I love a film that is a commentary on itself. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I think that Josie and the Pussycats is such a great film in so many different ways. And I think, you know, I I think there's a lot of like box office flops and like modern films that are seen as kind of just like throwaways that really have so much more depth to them than people Mm -hmm. give them credit for. Uh, and I think that's a film that is that is one of those. Um, I like to see us do something like that. How much Nicolas Cage did you watch? Enough! I watched enough to find the answers. <laughs> because this, this is my reality. This is how I learned to be. And my being doesn't allow for Nicolas freaking Cage, okay? Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Oh! Oh! Oh, I'm a cat. 
the sexy cat. <laughs> Do you realize? Do you understand? Have you accepted Nick Cage as your lord and savior? <laughs> Let us know. Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer in a Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer in a Movie TX, Beer in a Movie Podcast.com is where you can find the link to listen to all of our 99 previous episodes because this is episode 100, a huge moment for us. If you go onto that Twitter, you'll find all sorts of polls that I've been running lately. I've been challenging our audience <laughs> to make decisions about whether or not things are fantastic, whether you have no taste, whether you know <laughs> something has stood the test of time, whatever it is. Um, and so you can weigh in. You can tell us your opinion about things over there. I, I've been really wilding out on Twitter lately. I just want you guys to know that. Um, if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. We know you're going to give us that five-star rating, but please leave us a written review. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see more of in the future. You guys know it's COVID-19, baby. We're not going to movie theaters. We are planning all sorts of back catalog, themed episodes, director-focused episodes, actor-focused episodes, all sorts of stuff that you have been wanting us to get into. So tell us what the next themed episode you want to see is. Mm -hmm. uh, as you as you know, if you've gotten this far, we got into Cage, the greatest actor in American history. Uh, and so what are we going to do next? You tell us. Help us program our next episodes. Um this has been episode 100 of Beer in a Movie. We've come a very long way, and I am very happy to say that we have reached this milestone together. Uh, and all of that being said, until next time. You know, I could eat a peach for hours. Hey, midget, light the Caucasians rock. You my kind of motherfucking cop, man. You a crazy motherfucker. What'd that key run you? <laughs> what, what do you care? I'm guessing 60,000. Pretty good guess. Will you shut the fuck up? You owe me 15,000. I'll take 25% of the dope uncut. Uh, that means you're getting my price. That's one way of looking at it. The other is you get to keep 75% and not go to prison for the rest of your life. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.